Hey, listeners, you have clicked play on the spinoff show, and I've got another awesome episode for you. On this episode, I have on Shamasha Paul Yunan. He is a Shamasha. For those that don't know what that means, he is a deacon in the Assyrian Catholic Church, and we had a really good conversation. Sorry, in the beginning, this took four attempts to record, so our enthusiasm to start might be a little low but we pick it up towards the end. We had a really good conversation about being a Syrian, what that means in the world today, um, him being a Trump supporter, Paul that is, and then also did a really, really deep dive into um, Middle East history and geopolitics and uh, how that all relates to being a Syrian and that really how that relates to Paul's support for Donald Trump. I was really uh, intrigued by this entire conversation. I learned a lot from Paul. He's a really well-spoken dude. Seems like a really good dude, and I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I can By the end of it, I understood his perspective on why he is the way he is, and I hope um, you guys give this a listen and um, enjoy it as well because it's a, it was a really good episode and really fun to record. Uh, now you're going to check it out. This is The Jock Spinner Show. And we're on again. I say again because if only the listener knew how many times we've tried to record this. Paul, what's going on? Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me back on for the fourth <laughs> time. I appreciate it. Yes. Appreciate your patience. So this is the fourth time we've tried to record this. Um, hopefully, we we're in the clear now. We've figured out some technical issues, and maybe uh, maybe the uh, the gods will let us align, uh, let the planets align just for this brief moment in time for us to talk. Um, <laughs> uh, where do you even begin? So <laughs> I'll start by saying, um, kind of introducing how we even got connected. Um, Jason Dutch, who's from Voice from the Underground, the podcast, um, has been on my show. I've been on his show. And uh, he decided he wanted to hear me talk to Paul Yunan. Um, so I'm here talking to you, Paul. And I know you've been on their show a couple times, correct? Yes. Yes, awesome. I have. Always a great time. Always, always. <laughs> the first thing, which I'm making you repeat since we've talked about this a few times, but the listener doesn't know, if they're clicking on the episode, the title of this episode, it's going to say Shamasha Paul Yunan. What does Shamasha mean, Paul? Thanks, and Tony. I, <laughs> <laughs> and I know this is the fourth time, so... No, uh, worries. no worries. I think you're going to memorize what Shamasha means. Afterwards. I'm going to. I'm going to. <laughs> um for for the listeners uh, who are familiar with uh, biblical history, um, Aramaic is the language we speak, and it's the it's a biblical language, really old. Um, uh, it's the language that uh, Jesus and his his disciples, uh, the Jews at the time of the writing of the New Testament, used. And Shemasha is a clerical title; it means deacon. Um, I happen to be a, a deacon in the um, Assyrian Catholic Church, so. Um, I, I use the the title Shamasha in my social media. A um, couple reasons. First, to um, there's a lot of Paul Yonans. It's it's a common name in the Assyrian community. So um, first, to sort of distinguish the one I am from all the other Paul Yonans, and then secondly, um, I, I use the title out there to um, 
just let people know that I don't get too wild, too wild on social media. Although, although as you know, Tony, and, and as Jason knows, of course, um, I'm always in the middle of um, uh, controversies revolving, <laughs> revolving politics and um, just uh, general social topics in, in, in particular. So, um, But I don't get too crazy out there. So uh, that that's my uh, that's my story. So you're and you're a deacon. I'm with it. <laughs> I appreciate that you're sticking with it. You're and you're a deacon at a uh, a Syrian Christian Catholic church. Yeah, that's correct. Got it. Um, do me a favor, actually. Uh, turn up the volume on your mic just a little. Sure. You're you're, you're very soft spoken. Yeah. So there, there that, you go. that already sounds better. Um, cool. So I I was looking at Voice from the Underground because. Jason's like, hey, you got to talk to this guy. I'm like, who is Shamasha Paul? First off, I was like, Shamasha, that's a cool, interesting first name, not knowing what that meant. Um, then I looked into, okay, so let me see this episode that I that you were on. And the one that I'm referring to is the bonus episode he recorded, and it's called A Trumper, A Liberal, and A Centrist Walk Into a Bar. <laughs> I remember that one, yep. <laughs> and in the episode, he describes you as an Assyrian Christian church leader and MAGA supporter. So, I would assume some of the, the MAGA part is where uh, you might call, call, run into a little bit of difficulty on social media. Would that be correct? Wait a minute. I thought you invited me in here to talk about Christian topics. Like, oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> we the, can. Uh, no, no. Just kidding. The, yeah. I mean, probably no one out there is a big, um, is a big troll on, on everything related to uh, Trump and trying to rile up as many of my liberal friends and family as I can. Um, <laughs> I happen to be a minority in my own household here. Oh no! Um, yeah, my wife and daughters, uh, all three of them, are um, ardent uh, uh, opponents of anything related to Trump. So, that being said, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's something you know. We just it's mostly done in fun, mm-hmm. um, but it's you like to poke the bear a little. I huh? like to poke the bear a little bit, um, mostly to irritate my wife and daughters, but uh, sometimes friends and family out there in the social world as well, social media world as well. Um, but that's yeah, an easy it, bear to poke. That's like a bear that's just like standing there saying, poke me. Because you know what? I called it. I called it, Tony. I <laughs> yeah? said he was going to win when he, there was no chance he was going to win. I said, this guy's going to be the next president. And you're probably wondering, like a lot of our um, listenership is wondering, mm-hmm. okay, this guy's a Syrian. He's Catholic. Um, that in and of itself is uh, something that's probably, you know, Shocking to a lot of listeners, right? You have a Middle Eastern person who's Catholic and a Trump I wouldn't supporter. say shocking. I just say it's but not a lot of people are exposed to Middle Eastern people that are Catholic. Although, yeah. although I will say just from personal, um, me personally growing up, I went to a high school where there was a decent amount of Assyrians. So I'm familiar oh, with great. Assyrians. Yeah, yeah, great. And so just a little bit of, I mean, a little bit of background to some of the, yeah, the readership. Some background. Yeah, um, they may not be as familiar um with my people, I get it a lot. Like, oh, you're a Middle Eastern and you're Catholic. Number one, that's that's a shock. And then number two, you're a conservative um, Republican. Yeah, what the hell's wrong and with so, you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so let me uh, give a, a, a sort of a very brief um, overview. We're we're a tiny community today. I mean, I would say there's probably less than a hundred thousand people in worldwide. Um, we've been dispersed. From our native homelands, and less than a hundred thousand Assyrians worldwide. Yeah, wow. yeah. In fact, uh, it's said that there are more Assyrians in the Chicagoland area than there are 
in our native Iraq. So if you if you go back to um, American history here or Native American history, it's, there's kind of a, a historical cognate here. So back in, in BC times, right, we had um, uh, our empire and it lasted for a long time. But then the Arab conquest happened and the Muslim conquest happened and Iraq, what's today Iraq, what was Assyria and Babylon, mm-hmm. was conquered. So much like the native nations here encountered, you know, European civilizations like France and Spain and England. You're talking about native, over. native Americans here. Native Americans here. Right. Um, the civilizations were relegated to, the survivors were relegated to um, reservation camps where they still live today, and their their numbers have been dwindling, their culture has been dying. That's how Assyrians are in the Middle East. So, mm. um, and, you know, add to, add to that, not only are we an ethnic minority, but we're also a religious minority. Right. And um, our experience there is a little bit different than the, that of, I mean, it's very different than that of the majority there who happen to be Arab ethnically, linguistically, they have to be Muslim, uh, religiously. But there was a time when Mesopotamia, or Iraq as we know it today, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, these areas were predominantly Christian. And um, that changed, of course, over the centuries. And we live today primarily in diaspora, here in the United States and in Australia. Uh, we have family in Russia, basically any uh, in, in different parts of Europe. So basically any nation that was uh, open to emigration from the Middle East, especially the, the persecuted minorities, um, we were accepted into. The first ones we were accepted into, we, we, we left for. So mm. I was born here. I was the first uh, in my family to be born in the United States um, after they fled. Mm-hmm. Uh, massacre after massacre, every, I would say every 50 years or so on average, every 30 to 50 years there's been a genocide. Uh, and wow. yeah, for about 1,400 years or so, let's see, when did Islam invade the area? About 680 is when the Islamic um, uh, invasion occurred from mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Uh, kind of spread out from Saudi Arabia to the rest of the middle, what we know as the Middle East today, and so about yeah, for about thirty to every thirty to fifty years for fourteen hundred years, it's been a massacre. So, yeah, we're, we went from the majority in the area to uh, about a hundred thousand today, and experts are—I hate to paint a gloomy picture here—but experts are predicting that we're about one or two generations um, from assimilation in the West. Because um, not many of us left in the homeland, so when you're, not, right. when you're not when you're not in the homeland, when you don't have a government of your own to um, protect your language, to protect your culture, to protect your identity, um, everybody sort of either melts into the Arab culture in Iraq, or they melt into the um, American culture here, mm. and so forth and so in Russia and or Australia, the European cultures, yeah. yeah, right, right. So that's our that's our background. Um, it's a rough background people. for a people. It is. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, a very rough background. Uh, but you know, we're surviving. Um, hopefully, the experts are wrong. But uh, I, I say all that as an introduction because um, some of the answers that I'll give you on political talking points later in the podcast. Maybe um, we'll, we'll make see. a lot more sense <laughs> if yeah. we get to politics. If we we'll get see. to politics, yeah. Maybe um, we'll just focus on uh, like Chicago and like the weather. Who yeah, knows? who knows what'll happen? <laughs> right, <laughs> um, but yeah, some some of the 
some of the things that um, that I that I stand for that I um, that I talk about in politics make a lot more sense when somebody realizes the the background. Mm-hmm. So sorry about the the ramp. Well, I'd remember I you. Didn't. I listened to your show with um, with Jason, and and he had on. Uh, a liberal, as he as he puts it, um, Gordy McZilla, a progressive liberal college professor, um, reading this from his site. But I remember re- watching or listening to this podcast, and um, I remember you talking about kind of this background and why you support Trump, and it's because, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, so you can chime in at any time. But you had talked about how he is almost kind of anti-war, um, you know, keeping this nation strong, not necessarily meddling in other people's affairs, and that past presidents that meddle in other countries' affairs, such as the Middle East, who that tends to affect is the um, minorities in those places. And in your case, in the Middle East, you your your people are certainly a minority. Um, am I am I correct in in what you taking that from what you said? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic summary, Tony. So, <clears throat> imagine. I mean. Put yourself in the place of the typical Iraqi. By typical, I mean you're Arab and you're Muslim, right? Right. Or whether it's Iraq or our homeland spanned like Iraq, Turkey, Syria, parts of Iran. So it's uh, it, it, these artificial borders that are created today in these nations are the result of uh, uh, the victorious allies in World War One carved up the Ottoman Empire. Right. Uh, when the, they carved vic- the, the victors decide history, yeah, right? Yeah, and so they drew up these arbitrary lines, right? So here's Iraq now. Iraq was never a country before, right? Right. Uh, here's Turkey, here's Iran, and so forth, and here's Syria, and so forth and so on. Well, the people, uh, our people in particular, are scattered across all those borders, right? right. So imagine yourself as a typical Iraqi or as a typical Turk or as Iranian or Syrian, and you're Muslim and you're Arab ethnically, and you're Muslim religiously. <clears throat> Every time the West, and now when you think of the West, right, rightly or wrongly, when you think of America, you think Christianity. You sure. Think, right? Rightly or wrongly, because it's it's not a Christian country, but it's widely perceived to be the West and the Christendom, right? Uh, Crusades and that type of thing. It, it's their mentality, right? So it was built on it was Christians it, coming over here. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. So when they when when anybody, particularly America, attacks any country in the Middle East. The native or what, the native Christians in the area, the the minorities, are viewed as a fifth column, mm. as a dangerous fifth column. So mm-hmm. the West is attacking us. The West is Christian. You guys are Christian. You must be uh, with them. Right. You must be allied with them. Your sympathies must be with the um, the attackers here in this case. Sure. The the, the Crusaders as they call them. Right. Right, right or wrong, uh, but. And so what happens is a genocide. This mm. is this has been going on for fourteen hundred years. Sometimes unprovoked, they just mm-hmm. decide they want to kill us. But a, lo- a lot more times than not, it's been in response to something the what the the quote unquote Christian West is doing in those lands. And whether that, it's a pope in a crusade, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, a bush, a bush. <laughs> Uh, a Bush, a Clinton, uh, Obama, sure. whoever these presidents are that, that meddle in the Middle East, we we tend to um, get our heads chopped off because of it, mm. right? Or we get crucified and that type of thing. So yeah, I mean that's that's the background there. Well, that, and that's no different, you know, to put it in perspective for Americans. That's no different than when there's a attack that is associated with 
Arab Muslim peoples, and and you see you know hate crimes go up in America against people that just happen to look Muslim. They might not even be Muslim. They might be sick or Indian or whatever. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's our, the same thing. Our church, my, the particular parish that I serve in in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, burned down a few days after nine eleven, and only a couple days after somebody dropped a note in our mailbox saying, "Are you with us or with them?" Really? And was, wow. And us was spelled U dot S. So they saw the name Assyrian on the on the plaque outside the church. They disregarded the cross there. Apparently, maybe they thought we were a mosque. I, I don't I don't know how they kind of confuse us for a mosque because <laughs> there's a huge cross outside, sure. outside the church. But in any case, um, there was a, a a case of arson there, and it was wow. directly it was directly related. We think to and, and the authorities thought to nine eleven. So for sure, I mean. Um, if if we're being attacked that way, I can imagine a mosque or a Sikh, uh, somebody who's appears to be Muslim. Um, so yeah, it, there's there's um, a bit of um, uh, a cognate there with yeah. you know, 9/11 and what happened to or how how the Islamic community here in the United States felt uh, a fear right, from right. the general population. And it's it's weird that like you know you've been persecuted by. Your people have been persecuted by people that are Islamic, yet over here, average Joe can't tell the difference. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm speaking um, in generalities here, but even like I remember as a kid going to high school and seeing Assyrian people for the first time, like, oh, they must be related to the Arab people, not knowing that it was just completely different. I, I had to learn about that. So, you know, the untrained person that never seen Assyrians, which I'm assuming is most of my audience and most of the people probably outside of the Chicagoland area. Um, yeah, I mean, it has to just look like, oh, that those are the same people. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people, um, when they when they do learn about us, when they do hear that we're Christian, uh, initially assume that, hey, these must be former Muslims who have been converted to Christianity, right? Right. And it's really the opposite. It's it, If you go back in history, the Middle East was Christian. You're the OG before, Christians. Yeah, before, <laughs> you know, right? Like, um, that's where it started, right? Right. And um, when the Islamic invasion happened, of course, through both natural conversions and forceful conversions, um, conquest, Islam out, began to outnumber us, and, and the aforementioned uh, genocides. So um, all of that really conspired against us to become, you know, the situation that we have today, which is we're, we're a tiny minority that's uh, very vulnerable in the Middle East right now, mm. especially, especially you know, because we are at the mercy of uh, the majority that uh, views us, often views us as a fifth column among them uh, to be dealt with. Mm. Do you, is there any reason? I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not that easy, but is there any reason why they just the rest of those people just don't leave? Is it just because that's home? And it's um, I would say the 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 biggest reason why some people still are clinging onto the homeland is because um, they always want to maintain a presence, right? Like even if you take the the history of the Jews. There's right. always been some remnant of Jewish presence in Palestine, no matter how often they were driven out by the Romans, by the Greeks, by the Arabs, uh, by the Crusaders. They, even if it would, they just numbered in the hundreds, uh, they kind of clung around the vicinity of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority may have been in the diaspora, but in Europe, in Germany, in Poland, and that type of thing. But 
um, they always try to maintain some semblance of a presence in the Holy Land, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there are Assyrians who refuse to leave um, their ancestral homelands. They, they always want to maintain a presence there. Um, the vast majority of us weren't really given that choice. So there was right. a lot of bloodshed and um, martyrdom that were, was happening. Uh, my family was affected particularly hard. But when when they made it out, then, of course, you get co- uh, very comfortable in the West, right? Because the standard of living is much better. Mm-hmm. Opportunities here are much better. And uh, you're not constantly in fear of when the next... Um, when the next episode of genocide is going to visit you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the majority of Assyrians who are in diaspora view it as an opportunity to regroup and replenish our population, but there are other factors at work that um, hinder that, and that's assimilation, um, intermarriage, uh, that type of thing, kind mm-hmm. of throwing speed bumps in the way of growing our numbers right, outside right, of right. the homeland. And people forget who they are over generations, right? Right, right. Melt into the great melting pot. I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I, I kind of know firsthand. I'm part Filipino and part Polish, so I'm that melting pot, yep. <laughs> walking, walking around as we speak. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, if I were to marry, you know, a white girl or some or any other race, I could see maybe the traditions of either being Polish or Filipino going away slowly. So I definitely can relate to to what maybe is going what's happening in, in your communities and in your with your people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I for what it's worth though, I will throw in that I did I when I went to that my high school, which was one of the most diverse in the nation, and I met uh, some Assyrians, um the women were, were were quite beautiful, so you got that going for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there were yeah, some very good-looking Assyrian women in my in my in my high school. I was like, "Wow, these I've never seen girls look like this before." <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and that's how Assyrian men feel about Assyrian women, and often Filipino and Polish girls as oh, well. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's always something different, right? Uh, it's always. I happen to marry, uh, my wife is um, a mix between uh, Native American. Um, oh, already cool. And, yeah, yeah, and um, German. Oh, her, wow. That's... Her, her family made it here right be- her that side of the family made it here right before um, the Second World War. And thankfully. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, there's always the, the mistake about the, the people who look a, a little bit different. Right, there's always that uh, intrigue of track. Yeah. exactly. There's always that, that mystery of well, what what is that person? Yep. yep. What's going on over there? <laughs> now you did mention something that I can also relate to, but I have questions on. So you're a Syrian Catholic, right? Yep. Because so, and you have a wife. Because I I grew up Catholic as well, and I thought as a you know in the Catholic Church a priest you kind of you go celibate. Um, is that different for Assyrians? It is. Um, okay. So the Catholic the Catholic Church itself, uh, under the Catholic umbrella, uh, obviously the you know the largest group there, I think one point one out of the one point two billion, are the Latin Rite. Right. So as you would recognize, the Roman Catholic Church, right? Sure. There are actually twenty one other churches under that Catholic umbrella. Mm. Um, the Assyrian Church of the East is quote unquote Catholic, but it's not under the Pope. Okay. Uh, all these other churches have their own patriarchs, 
and the patriarchs um, of these 21 other churches are in loose communion uh, with each other, uh, but they're different from the Latin Rite in, in a number of ways. Number, uh, the most important ways are uh, some aspects of the communal life or the, 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 the rules around clergy and that type of thing are vastly different than uh, in the in the Eastern churches than, than they are in the Latin Rite. Uh, one of them being um, celibate priesthood. It, we don't have uh, a concept like that mm. in our church. Um, in fact, our church uh, prefers that a priest is married before he's ordained hmm. and has a family of his own. Um, what's the what's the why of the preference there? Uh, well, I I think um, it's more a what happened in the Latin Rite in in during the times of persecution. And you know when in when Rome was throwing the Christians to the to the lions in the Colosseum, right? Mm-hmm. Was uh, there was a during during times of persecution, uh, they tended to go after the leadership first because they you know you go after the shepherd, the sheep scatter, right? Mm-hmm. So they would during the times of Roman persecution, they would target the priests and the bishops, and they were much more. They the church found that it was a they were much more uh, likely to renounce their faith than if they had if they had a wife and children than if they were celibates because uh, that, there had always been celibates in the church right so that makes but, sense though cuz like there you, was you, never, would, yeah. you would you would much ra- you would rather stay alive with if you had a family yeah you have an obligation to your your wife and right, children right right uh, so it's a very complicated history with celibacy in the West in particular, but the Latin Rite is known for it. And, and the, the best explanation that I've heard for it is that it was a, a coping mechanism within the church to, okay, somebody celibate, they had less to lose during a persecution, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't renounce their faith. or They wouldn't leave their flock in, that, in those troubling times. Mm, and makes so, sense, though. Uh, yeah, but uh, after uh, a while, so it wasn't always the case. Uh, the Catholic Church required celibacy in the priesthood. Um, and it really isn't still today. Like they'll accept priests who are already married if they're converts from, like, let's say, Angl- Anglican Church. If a Anglican priest uh, decides to become a Catholic and 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 convert to Catholicism, they won't make him get a divorce, right? Uh, right. So they they will accept a, a priest who's already married, uh, but they won't freshly ordain a married man. And I'm I, I'm hoping that changes in the future um, because the rest of the Christendom, especially the old churches like the Orthodox or uh, these Eastern Catholic churches like ours, we don't, we don't uh, have a similar rule around celibacy. Yeah. That would seem to be an outdated rule. Yeah, it is. And it, it, again, it mainly came about later during the church time. Like originally, originally the Roman Catholic church had married priests. Is, it, there's anything, is there anything in the Bible that says to be a priest? I, I, I haven't brushed up on my Bible readings in a very long time. Is there anything in the Bible that says a priest or someone that is serving God has to be celibate or not married? There's There are some obscure passages where the Apostle Paul says if it's not for everybody, but it's best if you're like me. And it was assumed he's speaking of his celibacy because mm. he wasn't a married man. Uh, but maybe was he was just history. asking people to be named Paul. Maybe exactly, and hey, <laughs> who can blame him, right? Uh, the <laughs> but you know, nothing, uh, nothing concrete or dogmatic 
in the Bible about that. It's more of a, a practice within the, the the Latin rite in particular. Do you think um, th- uh, this made me think of something though? Mm-hmm. You know how the a lot of or Christianity was born in the Middle East, basically, right? Correct. Yep. Do you think his name was actually Paul? It wasn't Paul, right? That's a West. That's a Western name. Yeah. In in fact, that's a great point. In fact, his name was Saul or Shaul in Hebrew. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Shaul in Hebrew. And what it what happened was uh, Paul was his Romanized name, ah. and he went by that uh, when traveling throughout the Roman Empire, uh, converting people over to the new faith. That he, he went by the name Paul. And like all the apostles probably weren't those real names, were they? No, no. In fact, Peter was um, Shimon. Yeah. Uh, Peter being the Greek uh, for for rock. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of lots of the apostles um, had Hebrew names that were Latin translated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And were translated later. Um, we we still have those in the Aramaic. Uh, our Bible is still in Aramaic. The language that Christ spoke, and so uh, is that the really the like, language that Christ spoke? Yeah, yeah, Aramaic. definitely. Uh-huh. In fact, if you open your um, your English copies, uh, there are still some parts of Christ's words that were left untranslated by um, by the Greeks when they were translating his words, huh. and uh, they're in Aramaic. No kidding. Uh, do they speak? They don't speak Aramaic in Passion of the Christ, do they? They do. They do. They wow. do. Yeah. In fact, I, I know. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. Yeah, uh, I know the past. Uh, the uh, professor who uh, provided the translations for that um, movie for Mel Gibson's uh, transcript. He's a, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, and um, no kidding. They, yeah, so they all had to learn, or at least learn the dialogue enough to sp- repeat it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the actors were actually Jewish, so they have a familiarity with Aramaic because in the Jewish religion there are a lot of Aramaic prayers still mm-hmm. that they speak, and it's close enough to. Hebrew, uh, it's a sister language to Hebrew, so I would say 80, 80, 70, 80% of the words are the same, uh, are the same root uh, okay. between uh, um, between Hebrew and Aramaic, so they're, they're almost a, a single language. Um, that ju- It's just like a dialectical difference between the two languages. And so a lot of the, the actors in that movie were are actually Jewish, and some of the actors were Italian, um, and so... They had, they had to speak Latin. Yeah, so they had a little bit of, of um, an advantage there, and, and they were coached with, by a good professor. So um, it was it was a great movie. You you liked that movie, huh? Yeah, I was one of the only things I could actually. Uh, I I felt I was one of the you know one of the only people who, who could actually go to the movie theater and not um, read the subtitles the entire time. Not re- yeah, not rely <laughs> on the subtitles so much. Although some other accents were off, but um, I, I I could pretty much make out what they were trying to say. <laughs> I, I didn't even think of it from that perspective. That's w- probably the only mainstream movie you'll ever get that's in that dialect that you could just sit there and be like, "That's it. This is me. This is yeah. This is what I my people. That's it. We spoke. A, <laughs> yeah. And what a what a downfall, right? Because at, at one point in world history, this was a a major language, like English is today, kind of a lingua franca among different different nations. And, and yeah, because I I haven't even. I mean, I've heard Aramaic. The, the language said a couple times, but yeah, I, it's not the first language. It's not even the 150th language I think of when I think of languages. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. Not many of us left in, like, in our church. I mean, 
Yeah. The, the readings are in Aramaic. The, the sermon is in Aramaic. Uh, chanting and hymns are in Aramaic. So we try to keep it alive that way in the church setting, and people at home speak it uh, with their children and so forth. So it's not an official language, so we can only really – there's no nation that uh, sanctions this language or uses this language in its official communications, mm. government functions and everything, um, and, and protects it in schools. So it's really a language that's being preserved in the home and in the church. It's literally like people that are actively wanting to pres- to preserve it or, or keeping it alive because there's no other reason it would stay alive. Yeah. Other other than that, it's going to go like the way of Latin, right? It's right. It's become um, a historical like a, a language in museums and that's it. That's crazy. Well, Latin. But the thing is, you think Latin, it'll be remembered like Latin? You know, I don't, I don't Latin think is this like romantic language that people think about. You know, yeah, like it, I'm going to learn Latin. Yeah, and and it has that um, it has that status, especially here in the West, because right, it's the basis of so many of Western languages, from Italian to French to uh, to English, mm-hmm. and uh, so it it, it has that uh, historical value to the West uh, that Aramaic doesn't, mm-hmm. and. It's it does it, in in the same way it doesn't to the Middle East because in the Middle East everything's um, now become Arabic and so mm. they they value that history and that lingual or that uh, those linguistics more than their Aramaic heritage in the Middle East because it's a- Arabic is the language of their holy uh, scripture the 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 Quran their right. holy writings whereas uh, Aramaic is the language of uh, Christianity. In the Middle East, and that's something they're opposed to, right? Do, do you know? I mean, it seems like you have a pretty good knowledge of of history, and it seems, especially in the Middle East, do you know why it is that the Arabs, pe- Arab people, ended up kind of winning that region? You know, I think um, it's it's a lot like it's a lot like what happened to the the Native Americans here, in mm-hmm. the sense of, and it, not only here, but also in South America or Central America, South America, right, and Mexico. It's if you if you go to, for instance, I, Mexico is a great example of of this concept. But in Mexico, the Spaniards, very few Spaniards, uh, conquistadors, conquered uh, that nation, those nations that were here, right? The Aztecs, the mm-hmm. Mayans, the uh, the Yucatans, the Pueblos. There was dozens of nations in what we consider today to be Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. And the average Mexican has ninety nine point nine percent Native American DNA. They they are they are the the descendants of Aztecs. They are the descendants of the Mayans, of the Pueblos, of the Yucatans, right? Mm-hmm. But they speak Spanish, right? They more importantly to the point here they not only speak spanish but they also practice catholicism in mexico right right, All, right their own mexican brand of catholicism in that mexican brand of catholicism you'll find traditions that are different than the catholicism in italy maybe they have different saints or different uh traditions in their church in mexico that uh, is reminiscent of the ancient religions that the native uh, Aztecs and Mayans used to practice. Sort of a syncretism there. Mm-hmm. 
so in the same way, uh, when Islam and the Arabs conquered the Middle East, it's not as if they just uh, massacred everybody else and every, all the Arabs came from Arabia and settled in their place. It's more of a few. The warriors came through. They, they conquered the area. And by and large, the people who remain there are Assyrians, are Babylonians, are Phoenicians, are Arameans, are all these ancient groups in the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. But they began to speak Arabic like the language of the conquerors was spoken, right? Mm-hmm. Because that was the language of the new rulers. Uh, they found that over time, uh, they were either persuaded through uh, genocide or, or you know forced conversion through mm-hmm. to Islam or that you know they figured after a while we would get along better in society if we went with the religion of the new rulers and so forth it, you know financially or ed- in education or whatever it became more beneficial to become Muslim so these people who are there today they speak Arabic they call themselves Arabs uh, they practice Islam but in reality they are really the descendants of Assyrians like I am. Mm. Uh, their ancestors were Christian like I am. So, um, the same way in Mexico. They can say, hey, we're, we're Spaniards, or, or we speak Spanish, and we're, we're Catholic. But in reality, they look different than the Spaniards in Spain, uh, who are European-looking, right? If you look at a Mexican, they look like a native uh, Mayan or Aztec. Right. So, it's the same thing like that, right? So, um when when we answer the question of how did the Arabs take over, it was really through conquest like anything else. And the Assyrians did it, you know, um, they formed an empire too that lasted, you know, centuries. So through conquest, th- these things happen, right? Right. And um, the winners usually wind up imposing their language and their culture and their religion on the conquered areas uh, who remain Assyrian, but over time forget their ethnicity, forget their religion, forget right. their language, and uh, you know that becomes a melting pot. There, they they assimilate into the new uh, conqueror the religion, the new conquerors language, uh, culture, and that type of thing. So Arabs from Morocco in Africa mm-hmm. will look vastly different from an uh, somebody who calls himself an Arab who speaks Arabic in Morocco or Sudan, maybe black. In skin color, maybe African in appearance, right? Uh, but it, the same person who calls himself an Arab in Syria may be light skinned and even have you know blonde hair and freckles. I mean, the the closest thing I can think of. There's two examples. I remember as a kid, think you know, learning about Mexico and Central America, South America, and that most of them spoke Spanish. And looking at Mexicans, like, oh, that's you know. How I imagine a Mexican look, and then you go to like Argentina, and they're like very pale, very white skinned. It's like, wait, how are these these people are all? I thought they were all descendants from Spaniards, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other example I can think of is just Brazil alone. Like you, you have Brazilians that are can be very light skinned. You can have Brazilians that look like they're Mexicans, mm-hmm. you know, Native American. And then you have black Brazilians, and then you have mixes of all those. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I, I those are the examples I can think of that are, are kind of similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, and you know the the Spaniards who conquered Cuba, for instance, they tended to never. Uh, they had a, a in Cuba a particularly strong uh, uh, 
focus on not intermarrying with the native um, nation in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the span in Cuba, you can find the phenotype of, of Spaniards. Like there, there are people in Cuba who are not mixed with the native Cuba populations or with the African slaves that they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are as light skinned as the Spaniards in Europe, and they they've not mixed right mm-hmm. so I, you'll find that in every one of these um uh south american central american countries you'll find pockets of people who their family lineage is more spaniard uh, then you'll find the vast majority of the people in these countries are the conquered nations that were there before right um right. so it, it's a very very interesting study in, in history and in um just human history in general um just imagine being a kid when I, like I was and you know learning that Mexican people speak Spanish, Puerto Rican people, all sorts of Hispanic groups and how how you perceive they look and then I remember taking a class in high school or it might have been no it was it might have been grade school or high school I forget same difference and my teacher was from Spain he was a white guy. I was like, "What? What? Yep. yep. <laughs> Great. They what, look like, what is going like on? Friend. Yeah, I mean, they're right next to France. They look French. I mean, right. uh, they have a very pale, uh, pale complexion. They have uh, light hair. They have blue eyes in a lot of cases, green eyes. Right. And they look European. Yeah. And um, I, I was mind blown as a kid. Mm-hmm. What, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. And if you find like, if you go to Ara- you know, Arabs are from Arabia. Right. So in the case of the Middle East, when somebody says I'm Arab. I always take that with a grain of salt. I say, are you really Arab or you just speak Arabic? Because, mm-hmm. okay, you and I are talking right now, right? Here yep. you are, uh, Filipino and Polish. Yep. Uh, if I got that correct, right. Okay. Correct. And here, here I am in Assyrian, and we're speaking English. Right. Right. We're speaking European tongue. And I always tell people, okay, you're, you're say you're an Arab. Do you mean that linguistically? Like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Libya. Libya's in Africa. You're not an Arab. Mm. Arab is from Arabia. Right. An Arab is from Arabia. So somebody in Iraq, my home country, tells me I'm Arab. I say, no, you're not. You're Iraqi. You're Assyrian. You're Babylonian. You speak Arabic. You practice Islam, but you and you've forgotten your nationality, your ethnicity. Mm-hmm. But you're not. You're not an Arab. An Iraqi. It's not maybe not as obvious to um, to people in the West, but to us in the Middle East, an Iraqi looks much different than somebody from Arabia. Um, yeah, that's something we, I'm, we I'm can trying to look difference. into. Yeah, we, we look a little bit different and so forth. So Arab is used as a blanket term for lots of different people across North Africa through all the way to Iran. And it's uh, it's a great number of different ethnicities there that have come under this sort of pan-Arab linguistic, you know, this linguistic group called Arab. Usually they're Muslim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're Christian, but usually they're Muslim. And um, they all identify as Arab. And in reality, there are very few Arabs in the world. Like Arab, the way I would look at it is Arabs are from Arabia. Mm. If, you're not, if you're not from Arabia, you're not an Arab. And Arabia meaning like current Saudi Arabia and like, was it Yemen, Qatar? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that Arabian Peninsula mm-hmm. down there um, it, it is what I would consider an Arab. Hmm. So you're saying Iraqi people. Look, Nick, or um, how do I say this? Well, I guess I'll say it. I'm not, I don't mean any offensive. Real Iraqi people don't look like Arabs, right? Right. And Arabs in, in from Saudi Arabia are darker. 
they tend to have curlier hair. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas people in Mesopotamia or Rakatiti are lighter. Um, they even have blue eyes and green eyes and light hair and freckles and light, lighter skin. Green and blue eyes, really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. My father had hazel eyes. Uh, in fact, wow. so I'm in Iraq itself is another study in, in a different topic. Um, you know, a little bit earlier in the call, we mentioned that the victorious allies in World War One arbitrarily drew all these lines mm-hmm. and said these are borders. Iraq is a lot like India today. Uh, it blows a lot of people's minds when you think that India is not a single nation. India is made up of dozens upon dozens of different people, mm-hmm. uh, different ethnicities, different languages. There are so many languages that are spoken in India that are incomprehensible with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely. And I mean, they're as different as English and Spanish today. I mean, um, where they just can't understand each other. And so India is uh, the same way. It was never one single country before the British came in and colonized it. And then suddenly when they drew gave some them, lines, yeah. yeah, drew some lines and said, this is India. Um, it's really more like a continent like Europe with all these different nations in there. Oh shit. I had uh, no idea. Yeah, and so India's India's got dozens of states, and all these states are are really twenty nine. It looks like twenty nine. Yeah, and yeah. they're all different languages. They're all different uh, uh, ethnic groups. They're all different, even religions. So, <clears throat> uh, I, it's it blows your mind that you say, okay, India's a country. Yeah, but it's really more like it is technically a country, but it's really more like a continent. It's, it's like Europe. A mini little continent, yeah. Yeah, with all these different states in there being thought of as their own nations. And so Iraq is the same way. Iraq is not, uh, it, it, it's a made-up country. It, it's only been a thing since the World War One. Right, very young and country. Very young country. And in Iraq are lots of different country or lots of different ethnic, ethnic groups, mm-hmm. lots of different languages spoken, lots of different religions practiced. Is that um, why there's a, there's always been a ton of just internal strife in Iraq because of all these different people that precisely. are now told that they're a nation? Precisely. Hmm. So one of the problems with doing that, um, with a, with the Allies sort of carving out spheres of influence, so Iraq fell under the British sphere of influence, whereas Syria fell under the, uh, the Syria and Lebanon fell under the French sphere of influence and so forth. Uh, the victorious allies came in sort of, and America became um, the sphere of influence in America was the, Saudi, the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, what happened there is, you know, they, they sort of drew these lines, they lumped all these people together, and these people hate, have hated each other since time immemorial mm-hmm. uh, for all the things that we talked about earlier in the call. And I always used to remember hearing when we, when we went to war, when we, when the U.S. went to war with Iraq, that, uh, the Kurds were kind of like on our side because the Kurds were always persecuted. Precisely. Yeah. And Kurds are another group uh, in Iraq. Now, surprisingly, Kurds are actually speak an Indo-European language. They don't even speak a, um, a Semitic language like Arabic or mm. or Hebrew or Aramaic. They, they speak an Indo-European language that's uh, related to English rather mm. than, yeah, it, this, it, their language comes from the same linguistic tree as English does. Um, so... Uh, there are people like the Kurds, if you go to northern Iraq, they live in the mountains, up mm-hmm. in the snow-capped mountains and in the north, and they look European. I mean, they, they are ca- as Caucasian 
as the people in the Caucasus of Russia. Right, right, right. Because um, it's not too far away. And so there are quote-unquote white people in Iraq. There are quote-unquote black people in Iraq. If you travel to southern Iraq in Basra, uh, that's close to the Arabian Peninsula there, mm-hmm. uh, these people are black. They're black. Uh, they're as black as the American blacks here, from uh, who are the descendants of the African slave trade here. Pulling up Iraq's, I just quickly pulled up some history on Iraq, and uh, I'm reading, it's their Wikipedia. They're home to a diverse ethnic groups, including Arabs, Kurds, Chaldeans, Assyrians, yep. Turkmen, Shabakis, Yazdis, Armenians, Mandians, Circassians, and Kawilia. And um, plus uh, more, probably. And probably before 1948, the largest Jewish community in the world at the time for thousands of years. Wow. Uh, but they all, after 1948, when Israel uh, became a thing, mm-hmm. they all fled because, of course, there was um, a trouble between them and the Arabs. Uh, so they couldn't live in Iraq anymore. But it was for thousands of years. They lived in the Babylonian area, uh, areas down there, uh, huh. part of Jewish history. So, uh, there, yeah, so Iraq is really, like India, uh, a continent of different nations and peoples. Um, whereas here in the West, if the way the way the media and the history is taught, and the way the media speaks about the region is if it's a cohesive entity of uh, you know that there is such a thing as an Iraqi eth- identity or ethnicity, it's really not true. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I I knew about this a little bit, but it is when you think about how the media portrays Iraq. I always grew up thinking, oh, it's just another Arab country. <laughs> they had yeah, no clue that there was this this what you were talking about. Yeah, and then you know you have media reports like hey, Saddam Saddam gassed his own people, or right? Saddam Hussein gassed his own people. Look, the Kurds, and this sounds worse than I mean mean for it to say, but he didn't gas his own people. He gassed the Kurds, right? And they what was what was he? What was he? Arab? He was an Arab. Yeah, he was. He an was Arab. an Arab. Okay, uh, but a few hundred years ago, his family was Assyrian and Christian, and. He know he knew that, and like he he came from a prominent family that only recently converted to Islam and became Arabized. Mm-hmm. But um, he was in a so I, you know the Western headlines were Saddam gasses his own people. I guess in a sense they are his own people because it, they're in that sure uh, they're border, in that border yeah. border. But in reality, if you know the the history of animosity between the Kurds and the Arabs, um, it doesn't come as a surprise to an Iraqi that. Uh, uh, an Arab would uh, commit genocide against uh, the the the, the uh, Kurds or the Turks or vice mm-hmm. versa. And the Turks may commit genocide against the Arabs. Um, that's everything. Yeah, they're all on one border, but it, they're not. They don't consider themselves to be the same people. I want to stay on this topic, but I do have a quick question. Sure. I remember thinking about this. I remember, and I don't. I'm not sure if I have this race right, but I remember. We were in, uh, I was in Las Vegas one time and we were out and we met some girls and they said they were, is it Calvanian? Is that a right race? Uh, Chaldean. Is that what it is? Chaldean? Chaldean. 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 And they, they were from like Michigan. Apparently there's a, a big group of them in Detroit or Michigan. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Okay. So um, these, Cal, what is it? Chaldean? Chaldean. Yep. Okay. I, I, actually, I did mention Chaldean. Uh, and that's another race in, in Iraq, huh? Yeah, um, that one's a little bit more complicated. That that rate, they are. So there were historical Chaldeans 
mm-hmm. uh, in the past um, in BC times. And also, very good-looking women, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> yes, <they are. laughs> um, Chaldean today yeah. refers more to Assyrians who be, have become Roman Catholic huh. and not Eastern Catholic. So uh, they took on the name Chaldean only recently. There are so it's a little bit confusing. There, there is a historical Chaldean race that's in southern Iraq around Babylon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the modern Chaldeans uh, are Assyrians who have converted to Roman Catholicism and who live in the north Iraq in the same villages that we live in. Assyrians live in, but they just they go by the name Chaldean because their church is named Chaldean Catholic Church. Mm. Um, and so it's a little bit. They're they're of the same race and they speak the same language that we do. Um, everything about their culture is the same as ours, uh, but their name their name after their church for mm. some odd reason. Um, mm. It's Kalung. My my in fact, my great grandfather was a Chaldean quote unquote priest. Uh, he had lived in a village where um, the next village over had lost a priest. They didn't have a priest, and they happened to be Roman Catholic in that area, and. He his bishop told him he was already a priest in our in my church. His bishop told him, um, "Hey, why don't you go and work with them over there? They need a priest." And that was it. So he became a quote unquote Chaldean Catholic. Chaldean, okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's there's Assyrians are prim- Assyrians of the old church, the eastern Eastern Catholic Church that we are uh, are primarily concentrated here in Chicago, whereas the Chaldeans, who are more Roman Catholic, are uh, concentrated in the Detroit area, Detroit, Michigan, and so that answers my my question, or yeah. at least my thought. Yeah, there's a lot of intermarriage amongst us. Um, it's really it's really the same people, just kind of an internal uh, identity struggle, I guess, or or church struggle, <laughs> mm-hmm, right? <laughs> Between the two groups. So would you you would you say a, the good majority of um, Assyrians that are still in the Middle East are they mostly in Iraq, or are they are they Around in other spots as well. Well, um, they were uh, they were okay. nine hundred thousand or so in two thousand three. Okay, before the invasion of uh, George W. Right. Um, right. I was actually going to get to democracy. that too as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, his freedom and democracy wasn't too great for us. Um, so that's dwindled down to about seventy thousand today. Oh wow. Uh, and I think it's even less now, to be honest, uh, since that last census was taken because of ISIS. Um, but they're ISIS primarily concentrated, like yeah, up in the Assyrians? north, like the Mosul. No, yeah, um, ISIS is just the latest uh, uh, genocide. The the thirty to fifty year every every it, pretty much every generation has its ISIS. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents' ISIS was different than the current one. Mm-hmm. And their parents' ISIS was a different name. Mm-hmm. You know, they go by different names, but the ISIS is the latest iteration of what I want to say. I don't want to say Islam because the vast majority of Islam is peaceful mm-hmm. uh, and good people. Uh, but I, I, I want to say something like uh, Islamicists is probably a better sure. term right, than right. Islam or Muslims. I, I don't want to say Muslims because that's too too incorrect of a term. Or just what, like extremists? Extremists yeah. is a good term. Yeah. So every thirty to fifty years, there are these extremists, as there are in every religion. 
Um, no, but just it's they, just with Muslims. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. Um, <laughs> they, um, you know, they, you know, few, you know, Tony. Few people know that the Assyrian Church had had like gotten at the one time. I think during the 11th century was bigger than any other Christian community. Like we stretched from Cyprus in the Mediterranean all yep. the way to Japan. No kidding, really. And um, yeah, yeah, all the way to Japan. So all of Asia uh, was covered by churches of the uh, of the Assyrian Church uh, of these. So I mean, from Siberia to India, and from uh, from Siberia in the north to India, uh, all the way to from Cyprus to Japan, in the Korean Peninsula and Philippines. Uh, there was uh, before Roman Catholicism had reached the Philippines. It was the Assyrian Church there, wow. and so. Uh, persecution after persecution reduced us. Um, but why I mention that is there there have been um, various groups of of extremists in all religions that have attacked other people. I mean, it's just it's the history of the world, right? So right, right. Our our, our church history in India has been marred with um, uh, with the same sort of uh, scenarios by the. Um, the Hindu majority. There, our, our church history in uh, Iran has been by the Zoroastrians, and China by the um, by the Buddhists of all people. Mm-hmm. People in the West don't typically think of Buddhism as um, as a, a, a group that has persecuted other religions, but they do. Right. We have the um, we have the stereotype of them just being monks and hanging out yeah, and being yeah. real peaceful. Yeah, and and so there's always there's always a, so when I say Muslims, I, I don't want our listenership to think that I have a bias. I mean, there's always some animosity between us and Muslim groups because of our history, but mm. by and large, our neighbors were Muslims for centuries, so they hit us in their homes during these persecutions, um, mm. much like the German, many Germans did uh, during the Holocaust. Right, right. Um, they saved a lot of Jews. So, uh, I want to distinguish between that. I, I don't want to upset anybody, right, by my words here, but I, I, I mean, like, the extremists every 30 or 50 years come along, mm-hmm. uh, like ISIS recently, and uh, they committed genocide or some persecution. I, I don't think, I think, if anyone's listening to this and getting upset, I think they're getting the wrong view. If you've come off as very, very respectful and very intelligent, oh, and yeah, I, I don't think anyone would, if they do, they can, they can kick rocks, whatever. <laughs> or join us next time, and I'll you know. Or I'll join us. To, yeah, I'll be happy yeah. to you know look for a different viewpoint. I'm always look. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, anything that I'm seeing about my own people, right, and mm-hmm. their experiences, uh, there are there are thousands of, of examples in everybody's backgrounds. Um, right. Uh, so you know, today you hear about even amongst the the various Muslim nations there. Genocides and quarrels among different sects of Islam, and so all of them suffer in different ways. And yeah, I mean, I can even think of you know, just being Filipino, the the way the Japanese treated our people in in World War Two, and mm-hmm. how the Americans after you know, there's all there's always different, there's always some part of us that can relate to being persecuted. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, the Irish you know, with the English, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, oh yeah, yeah, and, and it shapes who we are, right? Right. So. As a, as an, I mean, this was a very long-winded way of me kind of explaining to you, like uh, the original question that you had asked during the show was, you know, the surprise of uh, people who might say, "Well, how how are you 
okay, let's get past the fact that you're Middle Eastern Christian. That blows my mind right away. Yeah. But then how, how are you Middle Eastern and how are you a brown person or a per- person of color? I hate that term when people say right. that, by the way. Um, yeah, you don't like being called brown. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I think like everybody's a color. Right, right, right. You know, I'm thinking like uh, it. it's just a logical fallacy to me to say it's person of color because that would that would insinuate that there's some people who are of no color, and that's not true. Right. Because um, there really is no white person. I mean, I've no. never seen a person who's white. I've well, never, maybe actually, albino. I, yeah, yeah, right. And, <laughs> and for that matter, I've never seen a person who's black. Uh, I haven't seen someone that's midnight now. No. Uh, so I always hated that term. But anyway, uh, they always say, well, how can a person of color uh, support Trump? Support Trump. Sure. Uh, with his uh, apparent racism and, and that type of thing. Uh, and white supremacy and all of this, and I would assume, I think, before you say that, I would assume mm-hmm. you don't you don't think he's racist if you were supporting him. Now I don't, and I'll get I'll get I'll get into why okay. I think that in a minute. But I'm not going to uh, challenge you on now, that. I'm now, here to now. interested to hear your your point, <laughs> your viewpoint. Yeah, and now I will say I will say that he says a lot of things that I wish he didn't say. Sure, and he says a lot of things that can easily be misconstrued and understandably be misconstrued as racism. Well, so let I, me just tell you from my, what my quick view on is, and then I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say. So, sure. um, I am not a Trump supporter, um, mostly because of what he says and how he acts. Um, a lot of his policies, I think, are are good for the country, but I just can't. I just don't think he's uh, publicly a good representation of what a leader should be. But go on with with what you're. Now, I can't disagree with any of that. Okay, but um, yeah, so. Um, the 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 question of you know how can a person of color support Trump goes back to a lot of what I spoke about during this call is so we we every single human being is shaped by their own experience and the experience of I want to say there was a wonderful presentation by this uh, by a black professor here in the United States about um, and I forget her name but I, but the presentation was about Candace uh, Owens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, <that's> not, all <laughs> right. No, actually, quite the opposite of Kenzo. But she was she was uh, uh, really uh, uh, spot on when she spoke about the topic of generational trauma. What she meant by generational trauma, especially within the context of the African American experience, I found a lot of uh, uh, common threads in my own uh, people's experience. By generational trauma, she meant that. Every person who is born in this community carries a little bit of generational trauma. And what she meant by that was that uh, the, the immediate sons or the immediate descendants, like the first generation after slavery, mm-hmm. had a trauma that they were born into. Like the, the circumstances in which they were born into were very difficult because their parents sure. were slaves. Right, parents right, right. were slaves, and they saw their scars, and they heard about their stories, right. and and psychologically that does a lot of damage to you. They carried right? that probably through their whole life. They carried that pain, yeah. right? The children, the grandchildren they it of those and they slaves, couldn't do anything about it. And they couldn't right. do anything about it. Right. Yeah, and the grandchildren of those slaves, and 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 not only, not only from a psychological standpoint, but also from a fiscal standpoint, from a material standpoint, from a, uh, from from almost every. Uh, aspect of a facet of life mm-hmm. in society they carried uh, some disadvantage or some uh, stigma or some shame 
or some uh, material uh, uh, lack of material wealth or that type of thing, right? right. So uh, these communities tend to um, carry that uh, uh, pain mm-hmm. with them from generation to generation to generation. And I, 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 I understood so much about that and, and really could relate to a lot of that because, you know, hearing my grandparents' stories and how they watched their parents slaughtered uh, because they wouldn't convert to a religion mm-hmm. and uh, watching their sisters being taken into captivity and that type of thing. And listening to these stories and and hearing about my parents in waiting waiting for immigration here when bombs were going off at the time my mom was pregnant with my older sister and that type of thing like really uh, affects you psychologically as a child as 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 growing up as an adult and you read about these things and so um, it it tends to shape who we are as people and how we look at things. In, uh, in almost what people would think of as a, a selfish way. So, when somebody asks me how how can you support Trump, racism, thing, and if they hear my number one reason is because hey, I'm sorry to say this, but my number one reason I support Trump is because of his foreign his stance on foreign policy. Mm-hmm. It, it may come across as very selfish, but it's who I am as a person. It's how I my worldview is, is shaped. Mm-hmm. That every time, as we spoke about earlier in the call, that intervention happens by the West. Now this people who's already endangered in their homeland become that much more, uh, uh, penalized. Sure. Uh, by this action in the West or from the West that we want to do everything we can as American voters to, uh, put people into office that are going to take a more isolationist view mm-hmm. towards foreign policy and not meddle so much into there. And let uh, the people who are suffering there give them a little breathing room to re- recuperate and to recover from this horrible. Like we have people being crucified over there. We have people being that still happens. And all, yeah, wow. ISIS has been uh, crucifying people. Those Jeez. who they those who they don't behead. You know, um, uh, if they don't behead you, they're going to crucify you. They're going to uh, take all the uh, women and young girls and sell them off into uh, human trafficking, sex slavery. Right. All these horrible things that are going on over there, and, and they're burning down churches and, and, and villages and all of our crops. Uh, so people are fleeing, and they're fleeing from the homeland. They're coming to the West, and they're becoming, you know, like me, uh, they're assimilating. Uh, so we're going to become extinct. So from a very selfish standpoint, I, I from a very... Uh, seemingly selfish standpoint, I will say to the person who asks me, how can you be a Trump supporter being a person of color? I will say, because it's the best thing for my people back home right now. Right. It comes from a place of wanting to just protect yeah. your people. Yeah. And it, again, we all have, uh, uh, I suppose we all have a reason we vote and most of them are selfish and that's mine. The, the question about now, the larger question about whether I, I believe Trump is truly racist or not, I will I will start that off by saying, um, he, again, he does say things that are easily understood to be or construed to be racist. And I wish he didn't say these things. Mm-hmm. But 
I will I will give you a reason why I don't I will give you my strongest reason why I don't believe Trump is a white supremacist. And that's because he allowed and my my wife hates when I use this term allowed because we have two daughters. He allowed his daughter to marry a Jew. Mhm. Jared Kushner. Right. And allowed his allowed. grandchildren to be ra- <laughs> so yeah, she hates when I say that. But uh, in my language, uh, allow is a little bit softer. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because like, uh, here it's a word? little the bit best of word in English, like, I think, Yeah. What's the best word I can think of in English? Is like, um, allow. What would be a he was, softer uh, He allow. was okay. Or he, he, he wasn't opposed. Okay, yeah. Say, to his daughter. Uh, uh, in other words, he allowed it to happen. And, right, right. In Aramaic, it's a little softer. I think. I, see, I speak English perfectly fine. I think. Yeah, you but, got some real good uh, English. You, you don't. You sound like you. Well, yeah. you, you were born here. You sound I, like yeah, you were born. I, here. No, I was born here. <laughs> I was born here, but I, I surprisingly, I didn't speak a word of English, or I shouldn't say a word, but I didn't speak English fluently until I started grade school, and it's because like my parents uh, at home they had a very strict rule, like, and at home we only spoke Aramaic. They would not allow even as teenagers we. Were, they would not allow us to speak English in the home. They said in school and in work, you speak English in the home. You speak Aramaic. Hmm. So I, I got a late start a little bit to English. And, but so I, the reason why I said this, I tend to think in Aramaic, but I, I, the words coming out in English. And so that's the funny thing Aramaic, about the word. Well, allow, I was just gonna say, that's the funny thing about language is there's no one-to-one translation for anything. So, Mm-mm, there is words always get um, lost in translation. Emphasis on words, emphasis on the meaning of words. Yeah, yeah. Shades of meaning are different sometimes, and yeah. the shade Slang. of meaning in uh, in Aramaic for for Allah is a little bit softer. Right. But you know, he 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 his his daughter converted to Judaism. She married a Jew. She raising her children, his grandchildren, right, in the Jewish faith. And I would challenge anybody in our, in our listeners uh, to give me an example of a white supremacist, a Nazi, right? A lot of times they, this word is thrown around today well, too much. It's overused. Yeah, it's, it's overused, yeah. But, yeah, you know, let's say a white supremacist, right, uh, racist, will never be okay with his daughter converting to Judaism, marrying a Jew, and raising his children as Jews. Mm-hmm. Never. I, I, I can't think of a white supremacist. I can't think of a Klansman. I can't think of a Nazi who would be okay with bringing Jews into the family. That's a good point. So there's no way to me as a cousin to the Jews, a, a fellow Semite, because I mean, Assyrians and Arabs are Semites like the Jews are. There's no way that somebody who's a white supremacist would be okay with a Semitic Daughter, uh, convert, and a Semitic son-in-law, and Semitic children, uh, grandchildren. There's no way this doesn't happen. The clan will never, the Ku Klux Klan would never allow this. The Nazis would absolutely never allow this. A white supremacist would never accept these mongrel, what they would call mongrel children, amongst them. Right. They would never do that, and they consider the Jewish race to be a mongrel breed, and they would never. And, I, and I, my apologies to the audience for using these terms. These, these are terms that they use right. that I reject. Uh, but they would never allow 
uh, this uh, type of interracial uh, marriage amongst them. So this is why I don't think when, when people first started, you know, Trump became a racist to people only after uh, he became or he was running for president. Sure, nobody right. nobody really complained about racism. I, I never heard it when he was a well, talk show. The, host I, rem- or I always remember. I always remember the like the rappers would always be like, "I love Trump. Trump's awesome. He's one of us." Yeah, yeah because <laughs> after he became racist, whatever in their right. minds, and I thought to myself, "Wait a minute, how can he be a racist?" Because it's not like he disowned his daughter who went and married a Jew. There's no way a racist would be okay with that. I think it first started when he was, when he, I remember the, the, like Trump as a racist thing came out um, when he's first started campaigning for presidency and he was saying that Mexico wasn't bringing their brightest and their best with the the illegal immigrants. And a lot of people, a lot of Hispanics, Mexicans got very offended by that because there's probably, you know, a good amount of, a decent amount of them that had, you know, that came in over illegally, but have assimilated and been just fine. Yeah, and and this goes back to uh, what I mentioned earlier about I I wish he wouldn't say things the way he says them because this is so you know I've he doesn't have a lot of tact when he speaks he doesn't have a lot and 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 I'll 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 tell you this 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 very topic has come up a lot in social media with my friends and um, they wanted me to explain you know his words here and it's hard to explain these words because uh, at the surface they are very offensive right now I will say. My explanation to them about this uh, kind of uh, calms them down a little bit about it. When I say, okay, we go back to the topic of Iraq. It's not one nation, right? Or it's not mm-hmm. one ethnicity. It's a nation. Right. Same thing with India. You can't, like, say uh, the Indian race because there is no Indian race. Mm-hmm. There is no Iraqi race. There are uh, many races in Iraq. There are many races in India. When you say something even uh, derogatory about Iraq, or derogatory about India, or even derogatory about Mexico. You're not saying something derogatory about a race. You're saying something derogatory about a nation. Mm-hmm. A nation of many different races, many different cultures, many different languages, many different skin colors, many different ideologies. Uh, there are Assyrians living in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. There are blacks living in Mexico City. There are Chinese people living in Mexico City and working there. Mm-hmm. Indians from India uh, real Indians, I mean, not Native Americans, Indians from India who are living in Mexico City. The, they are part of the Mexican nation. So when somebody says, well, speaking uh, the way that Trump spoke about Mexico, not sending their very best, or that type of thing, is racist, that assumes that the term Mexican is a race. It's not. In Mexico, there are, as we spoke about, the descendants of the conquistadors, the Spaniards. There you, are. Let me the, ask you this: there are, the, there are the uh, Mayans and Aztecs and that kind of thing. So, when he says Mexico is not sending their breasts and writers, it's not a race he's speaking about. He's speaking about the modern nation of Mexico. But well, like let me ask you real quick: Canada, yeah. Do you <laughs> do you think he's smart enough to know that Mexico is not a race? Now. If you're going to challenge me on that, <laughs> okay, I'm going to sound kind of uh, apologetic about that. Sure, sure. But I mean, I'm half kidding, but I'm also kind of serious. No, I mean, to be honest, I I would hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, honestly, Mexico is is as uh, cohesive an ethnic group as Canada is. Okay. Right? Yeah. You go to Toronto and you're going to have Filipinos and Assyrians. Toronto is one of the most diverse cities. Yeah. yeah. You're going to, yeah. you're going to, right. Mexico City is the same way. Mm, okay. 
Mexico City is very diverse. Uh, you have Africans, you have, uh, my, again, Mayans and, and Aztecs and Spaniards and Chinese. and you can, So when he says something like that, it makes me cringe. Tony, it, I'm not going to sit here and you know sugarcoat it. It yeah. makes me cringe. And why does it make me cringe? Again, partially selfishly. Because I have to explain this to like I have to sit there and be apologetic about his words to people, and I hate doing that uh, because uh, it makes me sound like I'm defending him, uh, defending uh, a racist, and I don't mean to defend a racist. I don't well, believe he's a racist. For for what it's worth, when he said that, I actually didn't interpret it as he was saying the race necessarily. I th- I interpreted it as he was saying the illegal immigrants that are coming here aren't good people. It's not their race. It's the people that are yeah. coming through. But the the one that really made me question him was when he was talking about building the wall, uh, and he had mentioned that this judge or or the, I believe it was a judge in in, in India Indiana could not wasn't able shouldn't be involved in this because he's Mexican. Do you remember when he said that? I do, and yeah. it goes back to yeah, and again horrible wording. So uh, let me take a step back and sure. mention one other point. Go ahead. About the whole, like, they're not sending their um, their best, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was a, uh, see, the way I interpret it, I had a, my father-in-law was uh, a World War II veteran and invaded Japan, uh, Iwo Jima. He was a Marine, mm-hmm. and he was a part of the invasion of, of Iwo Jima. So, uh, old school. I mean, he recently passed away five years ago, decorated Marine. Mm-hmm. But the way he spoke about the Japanese people uh, is old school. He he would frequently refer to them by uh, um, a shortened form of the name Japanese. Oh yeah, my my uh, my. I was I would let me just say my my yeah. my uncle who's Polish who's in his eighties now. You know, grew up during World War II and was around his parents. And mm-hmm. and I'll say it right. Now, I was I'm just repeating what he said. He refers to Japanese commonly as Japs. Yeah, 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 and it was just a thing. Like, it was just it a thing. It wasn't. It, it wasn't derogatory. It was just the like, the way it was spoken. Back yeah, then. the old old style of speech. Right. Now, having said that, Trump reminds me a lot of him. Now, my wife hates to hear that. She hates to hear that because she hates, <laughs> my wife hates Trump. Sure, and so do a lot of people. Yeah, and my daughters <laughs> hate Trump, and they don't want to hear that their grandfather was like Trump. And my wife doesn't, definitely doesn't want to hear that her father was like Trump. But but let me tell you, he was in this sense, in the sense of the he, way he speaks is that old New York style. They don't give a shit. I'm sorry right. for my French here. They yeah. don't care. They're gonna say what's on the you know. So when he said, "Hey, Mexico is not sending their best and brightest," I understood that to mean this. I understood it to mean a very poorly worded way of saying, hey, if somebody's a doctor in Mexico City and very wealthy, or if somebody's a nuclear scientist or brain surgeon, you know, some highly skilled or software engineer, whatever, um, some highly skilled person, highly educated person, whatever, um, the upper echelon of society, whatever he was trying to say there. Right, right. These people, in Trump's words, are 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 not the ones that are the 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 people who are well off at the upper echelon of Mexican society are not the ones that are making that dangerous long trek to come to America because they already have it good in Mexico. Right, right. That he Trump, in his weird way, was or old fashioned way, was trying to say the people who are crossing over are the ones that are are struggling in Mexico for whatever reason. 
economically or uh, socially, they're they're not they don't have a strong tie uh, to the Mexican system, to the Mexican economy, whatever the case is. There are there are uh, people in those uh, higher uh, is a horrible word, but classes of mm-hmm. Mexican society that that don't want to leave, and they would never want to become an illegal immigrant anywhere because they're comfortable in their homeland. Uh, I think that's what he was trying to say. He right. was trying to say the people who are, in other words, a very long-winded way of saying the people who are making that trek across the desert and sneaking into our country's borders are not uh, who America wants as far as a skilled or educated base of immigration candidates. That's what he's trying to say. Right. Uh, now, that's a horrible thing in and of itself because <laughs> we are... Uh, yeah, it could be twisted a, real quick and yeah, turned we are thought you. of a nation. Yeah, because we, we are thought of a nation that's accepting of everybody. In Trump's mind, he would rather uh, have a merit-based system of hey, this person is good at that, or this person is good at that, or this person is educated to this level, and uh, we want uh, we want those immigrants to be prioritized over uh, people who are going to be, you know. And he said this before. He he wants. Uh, people who are not going to be a burden on the public charge. Right. And again, as a Christian, it's a horrible thing way to think, but that's how our, a lot of people think. So I'll, I'll fault well, him on he's, that. And no, he's thinking like kind it. of like a businessman too, when it comes yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a horrible way to think, but uh, it's not racist. Sure. Uh, because Mexico is not a race. So I'll go to the judge next. Same thing. He when he says that well the judge can't uh, rule on this case about immigration illegal immigration from Mexico, I think or from his, across our southern border. When he says he can't do it because he's a Mexican, right? He was paraphrasing. I'm building a wall. It's it's Mex. It's I'm building a wall in Mexico. He's Mexican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's nation nationality wise. Right. He's Mexican. Not ethnically. He's Mexican. Like you can't be a racist against the nationality. A nationality as Canadian is is. Canadian has got all colors and creeds in, in Canada. And we say, well, I, this judge can't rule on a Canadian uh, dispute that we're having with Canada. If somebody voices an opinion and says, hey, uh, this guy was originally an immigrant from a Canadian, or his parents were Canadian, he's a judge, and he's ruling on an issue about Canada. That we're having a, maybe, let's say, a trade dispute with Canada, a NAFTA or something. Well, he can't be, uh, partial, to, uh, he can't be impartial to that topic because he's Canadian. Canadian is not a race, man, right? Right. Canadian is not a race. It's not just white people in Canada, right? It's it's all different. Can- you know, the, in fact, that judge from Canada might be Japanese ancestry, sure, sure. ethnically, right? So uh, it's not. It, see, when you ask me, is Trump racist? I will tell you no, but I will tell you the things he says can be easily misconstrued to be racist because the way he speaks is not. Uh, I'll fault him for that. I'll fault him for the way he speaks is not right. It's not accurate, and it's not uh, modern. Modern is the best term. It's not how we speak modern. Uh, yeah, and, and, and like I think, well, that's a lot of his appeal too. Is he doesn't speak modern, right? He was the no. the anti-establishment. He was the guy that kind of spoke off the cuff. It's just it, I don't want modern. Yeah, modern's a good way to put. It. Maybe he doesn't speak. I don't think he thinks before he speaks a lot of the time. To be honest, no, with you. yeah, yeah, he doesn't. Uh, now, no, that comes into another good point. Here's the thing with Trump. You you always know he's speaking from the, like 
he's not you never have to worry about Trump what he really means you never have uh, to worry about is he just sugarcoating every no right he wears what does they say in, uh, there's a saying he wears his heart on his heart on his sleeve yeah. sleeve yeah you, there's no question where you stand with Trump there's no question he's going to tell you exactly how, where you stand with him he's going to tell you uh, he doesn't care about your feelings <laughs> No, he doesn't care. True. He doesn't give a shit. Absolutely true. Uh, so, anyway, the long story short is this rubs people the wrong way. He comes off as racist. He comes off as a, a, a jerk. Yeah, all these things. Uh, 100%, I'll tell you, that's how he comes off. And that's how he comes off as a racist. And he comes off as a jerk. But he's not a racist. And, well, yeah, he's a jerk. <laughs> I can't. I can't, um, I can't tell you he's not a jerk. He is a jerk, but yeah. um, that's not you know. That's a different thing from a racist. See, a racist, sure. a racist, a true racist, uh, like I said, would never be okay. Or as my wife hates me saying, allow his daughter to marry a Jew. There's no way. Yeah, there's no way you will not find a KKK member who has a daughter married a Jew. There's no way. I mean, or if he does, he, she's no longer his daughter. I'll tell you that. Right. He's disowned her. I mean, from the way you're speaking, though, I, I can understand why you would support. And, you know, I don't think it's something that you necessarily need to defend, you know, unless the guy was, you know, beheading people in public or doing something. Um, I mean, I mean, if crazy, if, if I honestly thought that Trump is a racist, as a white supremacist, I would never support him. Right. Because uh, I'm not into supporting people who think that uh, I'm 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 less of a human than they are. Right. You know, I'm not going to support somebody who thinks, who looks at me and says, uh, "I'm superior to you." So, Especially with what your people have been through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That'd because be kinda, that's kind what of, we uh, deal with over hypocrisy, there. Hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what we deal with over there. Is is actually, I mean, we deal with racists and uh, and people who are against our religion over there too. So I don't know what the word is for being against somebody's religion, but um, they hate the. You know, where we're from, they hate the. They hate when we use the word Assyrian because. Um, uh, you know, they they think we're we're trying to be better than them and say, hey, we have a historical tie to this land where you don't. Like, hey, mm. what do you mean, uh, Arab is less than Assyrian now because you're in Assyria? Like, you know, they hate when we use the word Assyrian. So um, they're racist against us. They they don't like the word Assyrian. They don't like Assyrians because it reminds them of a pre-Islamic, pre-Arab past. Do you think and, it's? I was gonna say, know, do you think it's possible, just from the history of Iraq and all that, that there could ever be? Like peace in that area? You know, it, there was a time when we didn't think it would be possible for parts of Europe to get along. Sure. Maybe there is still some underlying... Um, There's still tension between like tensions. maybe the Slavic countries for sure. Yeah. Um, but with modernity brings... Uh, with modernity comes... Um, more acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, with information becomes more acceptance, and as information begins to flow more freely in those countries, things are getting more positive outlook in the mm-hmm. future. But then stuff like ISIS happens again. So I think the Middle East is a unique case, and I think the world. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of places where there's hotspots, and there'll always be hotspots, but. Uh, Middle East is kind of a weird beast. It it's got one foot in the future, uh, whereas you see like um, some 
places like uh, Abu Dhabi or um, oh yeah, Abu Dhabi, uh, Dubai, Omaha, beautiful. Dubai, yeah. that, I think uh, so. It has it's it's a region that has uh, one foot in the future and one foot in the past, and I, I don't know if that one foot in the past is ever going to catch up. Well, that, I mean, you see that with Saudi Arabia. I don't know if how how closely you follow them, but they bring over. Like live WWE events all the time, and they recently—I don't know how close you follow boxing—but there's a huge heavyweight fight um, between Anthony Joshua and uh, I believe his name Andy Ruiz. Uh, huge heavyweight fight. It's an, actually a rematch because Andy Ruiz upset Anthony Joshua, and they just announced that it's that that second fight of all places. Everyone thought it was gonna be either New York or London because that's where Anthony Joshua's from, or maybe Las Vegas. It's gonna be in Saudi Arabia. See, that's incredible to me because if, you know, and here again is the uh, example I'm talking about where one foot in the future and one foot in the past. This is from the same country that still uh, represses its women. Right, 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 right. That still tosses gays off of tall buildings. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, that's WWE right? gets a ton of flack for that because they, yeah. they're all about... Um, like women's movement now and then pro mm-hmm. wrestling and whenever they go to Saudi Arabia they can't even bring the women over. No. And unbeknownst to most people, ISIS was largely funded by Saudi if, not, if yeah. not Saudi Arabia itself, but people within Saudi Arabia. Sure. And within all the the other um, Gulf countries, so we're talking about Dubai, right? Well, there's a huge proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran going huge, on. Huge, huge. I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that. Not a lot of people know this. Right. There is a huge proxy war between, on the one hand, Saudi Arabia and Israel uh, being allies, surprisingly. And Saudi, Saudi Arabia is Sunni or Shiite? Yeah, Sunni. Sunni. So Saudi Arabia and all these Gulf countries are Sunni, and Israel has allied itself with the Sunni bloc there. Against, and the U.S. But in case, as and well, the right? U.S., yeah. Right. And the U.S. against what they perceive to be a Shiite crescent forming from Iran right. to Iraq. Iraq is predominantly Shiite. From Iran to Iraq, Syria, the whole mess in Syria with Assad mm-hmm. happened because Syria is, a, is predominantly Sunni in population, but its ruling family, the Assad family, is part of a minority there of Shiites. Mm-hmm. And they're naturally allied with Iran. So imagine geographically here, if you've got a map in your head, right? Or uh, just, I'm on a computer, I'm going to pull yeah, up a map right now. If you pull up a map of, <laughs> yeah, if you pull up a map of the Middle East, Israel and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf countries uh, frequently refer to a term called the Shiite Crescent. And what they mean by the Shiite Crescent is there's a Shiite uh, formation happening uh, geopolitically from Iran to going through Iraq, going through Syria, going through Lebanon that's controlled by Hezbollah, uh, the Shiite group Hezbollah. So you've got a Shiite crescent forming from Tehran all the way to the borders of Israel. Mm-hmm. In, in Islam, there are these two major schools, the school of Sunnis and the school of Shiites. Between these two schools, the one that is most uh, vehemently uh, anti-Zionist or anti-Jewish is Shiite Islam. Shiite yeah. Islam. So <laughs> Israel and America uh, see Shiite uh, as the bigger threat to Israel. 
and to Saudi Arabia, which is, remember if, when we talked about we carved up all these nations out of the Ottoman Empire and Saudi Arabia and the peninsula came under American influence? Right. This is, uh, they're practically the 51st state, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and that's why we get their oil. Sure. So, I mean, our interests in America are tied to Israel, naturally, right? And Saudi Arabia and those Gulf states and the Sunni bloc. You have the Shiite crescent forming that's coming right up to their border. And so that's why they've tried to take Assad out. That's why that whole civil war in Syria that's been the most devastating humanitarian catastrophe since World War II in, 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 in the number of people killed, in the number of people displaced, in the number of refugees that have been pouring into Europe from Syria mm -hmm. was because the West fomented the civil war in Syria to arm the Sunni majority against their Shiite ruler Assad. Because they wanted to break up this Shiite crescent. And is Russia, Russia supports the Shiites, right? Yeah, Russia and China supports the Shiites. Mm -hmm. So here you have uh, Iran that's rapidly becoming closer and closer to nuclear power, threatening to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, right? And now uh, what happened is, when we, back to the topic of ISIS, ISIS was an attempt by the West and the Gulf countries, including Saudi Arabia and Israel, to put up the Sunni block in the middle of that Shiite crescent. Mm. They wanted to create the Islamic State, Saudi Arabia did, as a bulwark against Iran. That makes so, sense. So what happens is these religious nuts get in power there. Okay, because think about how fast ISIS came into the picture. Out of nowhere. Right, it was overnight. And that doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen. With tanks and, right. and modern weaponry, that doesn't you, happen. You need money for that, right? Yeah, that doesn't yeah. happen, right? And who's buying their oil? Like, they were selling oil in the open market. Like, this doesn't, and Turkey's with, by the way, Turkey's with Israel and Saudi Arabia and the United States and all this because they're, they're a member of NATO and they're Sunni. So they hate Iran as well. So, Assad, was, Assad was yeah. Assad <laughs> was targeted. You know, Assad was targeted. Russia came to his assistance. Russia propped him up, and this bloody civil war where ISIS really took off mm -hmm. devastated the Assyrian community. Yeah, because we're the minority there, right? So, for the sake of breaking up the Shiite crescent, see, our foreign policy is affecting minorities there, right? And so, long story short. No, I'm enjoying it. You can keep it long. <laughs> no, 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 but long story short, this is why Assyrians in particular, you will be hard-pressed to find an Assyrian today who does not, who is not an ardent Trump supporter, and not because he's a racist, and not because of the American economy, although they'll tell you, you know, living in America, hey, things are going great right now, right? None of those reasons. The 401k, 401k is looking good for yeah, what it's yeah it, it is and <laughs> you know but not, not for any of those reasons because any president can, but be, you know typically Assyrians are split 50-50 like all Americans are in, in America they're mm -hmm. split 50-50 they tend to be more on the conservative side but you'll have a lot of Democrats among Assyrians but you will be hard to find an ethnic group that is more supportive of President Trump than the Assyrians uh, I would say 80-90% and the reason why is because of this because they know that uh, somebody who coming in, and it could be even um, somebody like um, uh, this, uh, the uh, congresswoman from uh, 
from Hawaii, um, who is also anti-interventionist, or somebody mm-hmm. like Bernie Sanders, or somebody like Ron Paul, or that sort of thing. Any, anybody who just uh, is an isolationist in, in American foreign policy is a welcome news. <laughs> is is a welcome. Uh, uh, phenomenon to a, a Middle Eastern minority. Mm, yeah. Because it means that if, if things are calm over there, it means that uh, our people are safer. Right, right. No, a lot of them have, makes you know, a, lot a lot of sense. A lot of us still have family there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us still have family there, uncles, aunts, grandparents, whatever, um, brothers and sisters. I mean, so that's what drives them uh, is, is that single issue, which sure, is horrible no. to say. But it really is true. I mean, you know, that's my reasoning, at least. No, it makes total sense. I mean, kind of staying in it, well, this region is just super intriguing for me because they people don't talk about the reasons behind this. They just like a lot of. I'm I'm sure a good majority of the public just considers all of that region the same, and doesn't really understand the the geopolitics of what's going on over there. Um, yeah. In your opinion, going into just Bush real quick. What did that Iraq war, like how badly did that f- affect that region? Well, it was the, it was the start of this most recent uh, I guess we're kind of rewinding on the disaster that we were just talking about, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's the start of, so there had been a prolonged time, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, right, in our talk, there's, there's an average of 30 to 50 years before something bad happens again mm-hmm. um, to, the, to the area, but and particularly to the minorities. But you know, things had been there had been a prolonged period of peace, and 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 people had started to think, hey, maybe things are turning around, right? So, what does this idiot do? Well, isn't w- it also true? Just one he, second, one second. It's also true, mm-hmm. isn't it, that we we kind of helped Saddam get to power, right? Oh yeah, I mean, he was our first. He was the he was the West's first bulwark against Iran, right? Since nineteen seventy nine. Our, our number one target in that area is Iran, but we it's hard to get to them because Russia's got their back. Sure. It's like it's like North Korea. I mean, you're not gonna go against North Korea without inviting the Chinese and Right, Russians we need in. the Chinese at the table, right? Yeah. I mean, you know any move against North Korea is guaranteed uh, to bring in China and Russia automatically. It's like a tripwire, right? Right. So you move against North Korea and you're you're at war with China and Russia at the same time, two nuclear powers. Same way with Persia. Or Iran. Uh, since the days of uh, they were called Persia, uh, Russia has been their ally, and so you're not going to go to war against Iran without inviting a war with Russia. You're not, right. and so since 1979, uh, when our puppet—I uh, hate to use that term because it's pretty crude—we had a puppet, a Western puppet in Iran. He was the his name you know he was the Shah right and I remember hearing a, about this yeah he was a CIA asset he ruled Iran with an iron fist he was a dictator mm-hmm. and uh, they had a Shiite revolution a theological theocracy come up in amongst the Shiites their Ayatollah Khomeini was uh, who was the equivalent of their pope right in Shiite right. the in Shiite religion he's uh, the Ayatollah is like a pope to them so their pope came and became their leader and established a theocracy. 
That's what like uh, the Roman Catholic Church had. That's kind of what like Saudi Arabia Arabia fears as well, right? Is that that oh, would, yeah. that would happen across all the region? Yeah, because they have their own Shiite minority right. in Saudi right. Arabia. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, long story short, when that 1979 revolution happened, became our number one enemy became Iran, and mm-hmm. because Shiites have a much more um, apocalyptic and uh, a view towards Israel and a much more genocidal view towards Israel. They want to wipe them off the map. They don't. They cannot. Shia in the Shiite theology, there cannot. There's no room for a Jewish state in the Middle East. There's no room okay. at all. The Sunnis are a little bit more reasonable on this topic, but not the Shiites. The Shiites, you cannot talk to them about Israel. So it, it's an Ill, illegal occupation. They, they they want them gone. They want they want to push them onto the ocean. So right, it is literally um, good versus evil for them. Yeah, right? for them it's it's yeah. apocalyptic. It's like the end of days a right. battle is going to happen, and Shiite Islam is going to uh, prevail. Sure. So these people still live in the sixth century, dude. You know, they still, their minds are still. I mean, these religious fanatics in the Middle East of all flavors, they all live in the sixth century. So they're not with us. In yeah, I mean, modern it, times. they're the way it's put. And I just put it, said it, but I'll say it again. I mean, for them, it is literally my my life. Like this is good against the like we're fight, you're yeah. fighting a battle against people that think that their life is on the line for this. I mean, they think that you know they think that people like Jesus and Muhammad and just lived yesterday, right? Okay, I mean, it's their cousin just yesterday was killed. I mean, but, but, that, but the, the perspective I'm trying to say is there's there's no reasoning with like this isn't this isn't just a disagreement. This is life and death for them. Yeah, and this is and this is this isn't just a religion in the sense of that we think of a religion, right? In the West, this is uh, because since the Renaissance, we've sort of right in the West, we've uh, divorced the concept of. Uh, uh, religion, religion and, and social life and government. Yeah, and yeah. There's no such thing in the Middle East. In the Middle right. East, there's religion is indistinguishable from government. It's it's a it's really there's no religion. It's 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 life. Yeah, Islam yeah. in particular, especially Shiite Islam, is a uh, it's not just a religion. It's a socio-economic, uh, governmental, uh, legislative, uh, judicial, and religious entity. It's mm. everything. Right, like right, it's right. life. You know. So, uh, long story short, I mean. When that happened uh, in 1979, and they ousted our puppet, the Shah, who fled right to England, I think it's England where he lived, or England or France, but anyway, he fled to the West, and now these crazy fanatics took over there, uh, who are they really the equivalent of the Sunni uh, ISIS? Uh, you know, they they became public enemy number one. So George W. Bush, back to him. Um, Okay, the, uh, 1990. The Shah, by the way, was Mohammed. Uh, what's his name? Mohammed Reza uh, Rezavi. Pavlavi. Yeah. Yep. So you know, um, here's here's what I meant to say about George W. Bush. Yep. Well, he, let, let me ask you he, this before that. Yeah. How did so? How did Saddam go from American support? He's he's blocking Iran from getting to Israel to now. George W. Bush is like, we got to invade this guy. He's got nuclear weapons. How did that turn? Sure. couple of facets here. Uh, Saddam was originally our bulwark against Shiite Iran. So they stood up this strong dictator in Iraq that suppressed, okay, the majority of Iraq is Shiite mm-hmm. and allied uh, sympathetically. They, their sympathies lie with Iran. Okay. But uh, Saddam Hussein is a strong man who happened to be a Shiite. Uh, family f- a couple centuries ago was Christian, actually. But anyway, he's he's, uh, he's Sunni, I mean. 
mm-hmm. a couple of centuries ago, his family was Christian. So he's Sunni. He's a strong man. They propped him up and supported him. We gave him all the weaponry he had. We gave him even the technology to create uh, chemical weapons that he used later against the Kurds and that type of thing. The, the first place he used those chemical weapons, and the reason why we gave him that technology was because Iran's military was far superior and supported by nearby Russia. Right. And they were easily going to go easily going to overrun him. So the United States gave him a lot of bad weaponry, a lot of horrendous weaponry. And he used that weaponry. He used those chemical weapons against the Shiites in Iran. When that brutal war that lasted a long time. Talking about the Iran-Iraq war? The Iran-Iraq war. Um, by the way, Assyrians on both sides of the border often had to fight their own cousins because oh, they were on the front line. Yeah, That's crazy. So Assyrians cousins on one side and Assyrian cousins on the other on the front line. Horrible situation. But anyway, um, because that's what they, I mean, they put the minorities in the front lines and let them be cannon fodder, right? Right. Uh, but he used those chemical weapons against Iran. And then later against the Kurds who he, th- he thought were, were sympathetic to Iran or were assisting Iran during that war. That's why he attacked the Kurds. He attacked the Kurds in that genocide against them because they, they really did, um, Remember how I said the Kurds are Indo-European language and like an Aryan race? Mm-hmm. So is Iran. The word Aryan comes from Iran. Mm, okay. Um, so they're very closely, like linguistically and ethically related, the Kurds and the Iranians or okay. the Persians. But anyway, um, long story short, we propped him up to be a bulwark against Iran. Where he went to be a bad guy is the background of this story is uh, before 9-11, he invaded Kuwait. Kuwait, the reason, right. Yeah, the reason Gulf why he... War. Gulf War. yeah. The reason why he invaded... So Bush's father started this uh, problem because... Or I, I shouldn't say started this problem, but started the war there because what happened is... So er, again, back to the, the point about these arbitrary lines that were formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuwait was formed because it sat upon the biggest oil fields in Mesopotamia. When we broke up the Ottoman Empire, Kuwait had the most oil fields. But a lot of these oil fields straddle the border between Iraq and and Kuwait. Mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein had found out that uh, the Kuwaitis had side-drilled into one oil field and had taken more than their quota of oil. And when he conf- confronted them about this, they refused to, and he sent them basically a demand saying, you owe us this many billions of dollars, I forget what it was. They refused to pay, and so he invaded them. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but he invaded them. You know, wars have happened for less reasons right. than, than this, but they were stealing his oil. Yeah, he so, felt it was theft, and he was owed he fa- Yeah, so he invaded. Bad situation happened there, fine. But the United States got involved, and that has... Uh, Still, we kicked, we kicked them out, and Bush Sr. was content with that. Now, fast forward a decade. What, why did we get involved? We just didn't want him controlling those oil fields? Yeah, those okay. oil fields. Uh, British Kuwait was an ally, and we didn't, yeah. we didn't trust him. Yep. Okay. So now, he's already on shaky ground, and then he tries to send an assassin uh, the same way he did to um, – he, mar- he murdered our patriarch here in San Francisco, the Assyrian patriarch. Of the church of the of the Assyrian church was exiled a number of decades before that to uh, to the United States, and he lived in San Francisco. Saddam Hussein sent a, a, a 
a mercenary to kill him. So Ar- Why is that? Um, because he was a, a, a strong um, proponent of Assyrian nationalism. Okay. And All right. Iraq, Iraq found him to be a, a threat. Okay. So Saddam Hussein had him assassinated. Um, you can find the proceedings in the Superior Court of uh, California. But it was an assassination from a thing. So anyway, uh, Saddam Hussein, in the same way, tried to get an assassin to take out Bush Sr. Hmm. A lot of these details aren't really public. I mean, uh, publicly understood in the United States, but he tried to get uh, Bush killed because of the first Gulf War. So no since, since that time... Okay, so then the sun has been yeah. holding this grudge ever since. Yeah. since that time. 9-11 happened. Now, mind you, 9-11... Our worst, tra- our worst tragedy of mo- of modern times for Americans. Uh, for Americans, right? 9/11 happens. 9/11 was 19 Saudis, right? 19 Saudi hijackers flew planes into the twin towers and into uh, Pentagon, and the one in Pennsylvania. But 19, there were supposed to be 20, but they're all Saudis. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a single Iraqi among them. They were they were all true Arabs, right? Mm-hmm. No Iraqi. In return for 9-11, George Bush Jr. found his excuse to go after Iraq. Oh, they are supporting terrorism. And we just had this horrible... Now, Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. He had absolutely nothing to do with 9-11. But this was the incident that George Bush Jr. decided this is our way. Okay, he he wasn't exactly involved in 9-11, but he also... He supports terrorism. Hey, look at all these things he does, including killing our Assyrian patriarch here in well, San let's, let's pause right there, though. Like, yeah. all everything you've just said, like, yeah, there's blame to go around, but, like, l- following each leader's point of view, I could see why they do the things they do. Like, yeah. I could yeah. see why Saddam invaded, and I could see why he's like, you know, fuck the Americans. They stopped me from... I they These guys owed me money, and they stopped me. And I could see George W. being like, dude, this guy tried to kill my dad. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm going to get I mean, this guy one way or another. And so many other things. I mean, he killed, like I said, he killed the Assyrian Patriarch. Right, he, right. He, 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 was, he was truly a sponsor of terrorism. I'm not right. saying he wasn't. Right. I'm saying. But he didn't have anything to do with 9 11. Right. Those were Saudis. Point taken for sure. Yeah, those were Saudis. This, th- yeah, this was, this was a, just as, like you said, his excuse to, all right, yeah. let's get this guy. Let's get this guy. So they went and got this guy. Now, this was, mind you, after 10 years or 12 years of brutal UN sanctions where the people didn't even have insulin for diabetics or the children didn't even have basic uh, antibiotics in Iraq. I mean, Iraq had gone from first, you know, uh, first in the the region for, you know, uh, living standards to they were, you know, devastated by these UN sanctions. You know, Mm -hmm. first they weakened them and then they went in and cleaned it up. And they went in with a shock and awe, and they got rid of, they found Saddam in, a, in that hole. They pulled him out, and they hanged him. Mm-hmm. Now, Iraq becomes, now, instead of this Shiite uh, controlled by a strongman Shiite, or I'm sorry, a, a Sunni controlled, you know, a Sunni controller who was repressing the, the, Sunni, uh, the Shiite majority, now the Shiites saw their opportunity. And to this day, Iraq is dominated by Shiites. Is that why we saw with Iran? I was going to say, is that why we saw those were probably Shiites that we saw that when they? I remember that statue of Saddam being taken down and oh, yeah. they were hitting it with oh, their, yeah. the soles of their slippers absolutely. and shoes. Yeah, those were Shiites, probably. Those are Shiites, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. 
and you know they're two thirds of the population there. Sure, that makes sense. So you know the now the Shiites are in control of uh, Iraq. We inadvertently it backfired on us because now that you got rid of the Sunni strongman, now you have a Shiite influence which allied with Iran. Again, that Shiite crescent that's forming towards Israel. Did we try to insert another Sunni right after Saddam? We, I don't really know. We tried here and there, but uh, the people wouldn't have it. It was yeah. like one failed attempt after another. And, right, uh, and then we left. Yeah, um, then we left. And that was the biggest mistake that Obama did was he left too soon. So mm. he left too soon. Obama left too soon, and he left his vacuum there. And the political va- power vacuum, uh, naturally, the Shiites slipped in, and now which would be a backdoor, which would be in the in yeah, but like I said, backdoor or backfired on us. Yeah, it backfired on us. Right. It backfired worse on the minorities there, including Assyrians, and because again, you know, you're asking, okay, did we try to uh, offset right the Shiite influence that's growing there? Yeah, we did by creating our us and our Gulf uh, partners there, Saudi Arabia and those guys, uh, started sowing the seeds of ISIS. It wasn't overnight. I mean, they were, it was a long time in planning. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, you know, it was ISIS versus, uh, ISIS was created to be the bulwark against the growing Shiite influence there. What did ISIS do? As much as the Shiites hate Jews and Israel, right? Mm-hmm. The Sunnis hate, or I should say, the radicals among the Sunnis hate Christians. Mm. Uh, so, oh, so that even was worse for your people. <laughs> yeah. So ISIS came in as the, ostensibly as the bulwark against the Shiite influence, but uh, for the Christians in the area, that was the worst thing that could have happened, because they, you know, their radical uh, uh, Islamism that they mm-hmm. adhere to. Um, this heresy that, that shouldn't be called Islam, but you know it is by them. Um, it's rejected by most of Islam, thankfully. Most most of Sunni Islam, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But you know, they, there's no room for Christians or Yazidis who they consider to be uh, devil worshippers uh, or Kurds or anyway. There's no room for anybody else other than uh, you know strict. Uh, They're perfect Islamic state. Even other Sun, yeah, even other Sunnis that uh, don't adhere to their radicalism uh, are. Uh, heretics to them, you know. So they're gonna, they're gonna uh, behead them all. Yeah. So you know, starting with Bush, from nine hundred thousand Assyrians or so in uh, eight hundred thousand or nine hundred thousand Assyrians in, in Iraq to today, because of all these reasons, yeah, you're gonna have about sixty, seventy thousand left, and um, not much. I mean, you can't blame the people for leaving. Right. It's a horrible life, but you know, so. Fast forward to today, Assyrian Americans who have all of this fresh in their memory now see a candidate who is promising to pull us out of there and stop uh, meddling and, mm-hmm. and saying, hey, we're not the world's policemen and we're not going to be doing all this. Hey, that's welcome news to people who have been suffering for so many years. Right. And, it's total uh, sense. They're going to support him. They're going to, American, Assyrian Americans are going to support him. Uh, or in in if it was a Democrat who had the same message, okay, our you got to understand our choice was this: Hillary Clinton, who since her husband was president through the Bush administration, 
through especially the Obama administration as she was Secretary of State, right? She was uh, uh, in charge of the foreign policy of Obama. All of these things, and she was in charge of trying to get rid of Assad and fomenting that Sir- uh, civil war in Syria so they break up the Shiite act, you know, of, of actively supporting ISIS. Uh, you'll never hear her admit this or anything like that, but, you know, with our Gulf partners, that administration that she was uh, Secretary of State under Obama, that administration gave material support to all of our Gulf partners. Who, it's not like the America, Americans will ever, it's not like we ever directly arm anybody or directly right. give money to anybody. No, it's through our proxies in that area that we support these groups you know, indirectly because we can't be seen supporting these crazies. It's, Absolutely. It's, uh, it's not. So our choice was this during the election. Our choice was Clinton, Hillary Clinton, who was the architect of the disaster in Syria, what she calls the Arab Spring, and in other countries like Libya and Benghazi and all those things. Like, that was her thing, was overthrowing these governments and then the, creating the anarchy. The Shiite influence governments? Yeah. yeah. And that was her thing. It was taking down these, uh, you know, Shiite influence. And I remember, uh, sorry, real quick. Mm-hmm. I remember learning a lot about this. I don't know if you've seen this documentary on Netflix, The Untold History of the United States. Oh, I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, check it out. It's by Oliver Stone. It's basically about all the shitty things we've done <laughs> in yeah. terms of yeah. uh, like stuff behind the Cold War and World War II and how we've propped up dictatorships and um, people just beca- in the name of fighting communism or people, uh, governments that Russia supports. So, yeah, it's I've learned a lot about some of this stuff. I mean, we're an empire. We don't like to call ourselves one. I remember hearing you say that on the on Voice from the Underground. Yeah, but we are. And With our bases everywhere. Yeah. I mean, we are the largest empire the world's ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be it used to be Britain was nicknamed, you know, the empire that the sun never sat on or mm-hmm. never went down on. Uh, mm-hmm. sunset on, but uh we we are bigger than the British Empire ever was. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's an unfortunate truth, but in the in the process, uh, you know, minorities like us are don't figure in to the picture. Right. American foreign policy in, in the Middle East is dictated by a couple things. It's uh, and it's not necessarily in this order, but it's oil and Israel. Right. Um, Syrians don't have political power. We don't have a country to sell anybody oil, and we're not we're not Israel. So we're uh, collateral damage. In Hillary Clinton's model of foreign policy, we're collateral damage. So this is what we had a choice was, as a Syrian Americans, we had a choice between voting for Hillary Clinton, who was just going to expand and, and finalize our demise in the Middle East, or Donald Trump, who at least was a glimmer of hope in that he really meant what he said about pulling us out of uh, this game of geopolitics that we play there mm. so has far, he done that so far so far he has i yeah. mean other than you know, well he did involve himself in syria one time right when assad yeah. when the assad was allegedly gassing his own people yeah and and i publicly i mean on social media uh chastised him for that i said he bought into the 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 deep state like and i, I hate using this term because it's very conspiracy theorist uh uh sounding but he played into, you know, the, this trick of, 
uh, uh, the same way Saddam Hussein was uh, charged with doing a lot of things that he wasn't guilty of, like having weapons of mass destruction, all this. Uh, so was Assad. I mean, there's Assad was winning the war at the time, and he was driving back. He he was reducing ISIS to nothing, and there's no reason for him to have used chemical weapons there. Uh, you know who who benefits from that? So he's against ISIS, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Assad, Assad was against is that. Shiite. Yeah, but he's a he, as I'm trying to remember what you said. He's a Shiite leader in a Sunni majority country. Exactly. Yeah, opposite of Saddam. Saddam was a Sunni leader in a Shiite majority. Right. This is stuff you don't learn about in American yeah. history books, by the way. Assad <laughs> was a Shiite, or I should say an Alawite. An Alawite is a, it's a sect of Shiite. Got it's, it. They're, they're related to Shiites. Uh, so Assad was a, a, a Shiite uh, minority leader mm-hmm. of a majority Sunni country. So, you know, it's that it's that popular phrase where they say, um, you know, arm somebody's enemy against them. You know, I mean, that's our that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we foment revolution by arming the internal like enemies of somebody. So when a leader doesn't get the message that America wants you to stop cozying up to Iran, when he doesn't get the message, he's He's marked for takedown. Right. Our miscalculation there was Russia that was going to stand by and put up with it. They didn't because number one, they've been his allies for a long time and Iran's allies for a long time. Number two, it, their only warm water naval port is in Syria. Ah, uh, makes sense. Yeah, they opened it up under Assad's father. Who yeah, they when he they can't Syria, lose that. No, they can't lose their only warm water port, naval port. So there's no way Russia was going to allow uh, the West and our tricks of propping up these like these proxy wars that we do and propping up these rebel groups. Uh, there was no way. And this same playbook is repeated all over the Middle East, like from Libya, Benghazi. That's how we took out Gaddafi. Wait, he was a Shiite majority, a Shiite influence leader? Yeah, I mean, he was a Sunni, but um, they armed the Shiites there. And so, like, we'll arm one group or another. It depends on the situation. Who is the leader and who is the rebels? Who, you know, who, who, which leader do we need to take out and who are his why, enemies? Why did we need to take out Gaddafi? Gaddafi, because he began selling his oil on the market in something other than U.S. dollars, which is a no-no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gaddafi is, like, almost, you see people wearing, like, shirts with Gaddafi on him. He's, yeah. like, almost become, like, a legend. Yeah, he, he made the big mistake of... um Another reason why Saddam Hussein was marked as, as as to be taken out is because, like Gaddafi, they decided to sell their oil in the open market outside of uh, the constraints of the U.S. Uh, dollar uh, being the official. They call it the petrodollar. Mm. It's a, a lot of the reason why our dollar value is propped up is because it's the only currency that's allowed for trade in the open market for oil and and OPEC and that type of market. So our petrol dollar, and you can I mean, there's a lot of YouTube documentaries on these too. But ever since our dollar was taken off the gold standard, um, it's become a worthless piece of paper. It's only worth something because it's actually the monetary currency of oil trade. And so Qaddafi uh, made the mistake of saying he he would accept gold bullion mm. in in exchange for his Libyan oil. 
that's when he was marked to be taken out. So, I mean, Hillary Clinton called these things, called these adventures of hers, uh, these foreign policy adventures, she called them Arab Spring. So you'll find, if you Google Arab Spring, mm-hmm. you'll find that one nation after another fell to, to these Arab Springs. Egypt with Mubarak fell to an Arab Spring. Uh, Morocco, uh, Libya, Syria damn near fell. <laughs> had these were all been, American influence? Yeah, yep, absolutely. It, Syria almost fell had it not been for Russian intervention. So all for various reasons, but it's essentially dictators who, who stood up to American foreign policy. Man, I don't even Sorry. know if the way... No, you're good. Get it, am I <clears> more, you're, you're, you're good. Um, drink some I, water there. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not like... I don't even know... Because these are dictators that fell, but like, there's no good, there's no good or bad here. It just all seems all bad. <laughs> I mean, it really is. They're dictators. Nobody's right. These are all these are bad dictator. people. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but you know, I will say one thing. Almost anybody uh, that you talk to in who's from Libya or from mm-hmm. Egypt, like Egypt's become a hellhole since they took out since. Uh, Hillary Clinton, that that administration um, took out Mubarak mm-hmm. in Egypt. Um, Libya has been an absolute hellhole um, since that happened. Syria, I mean, the worst catastrophe you can imagine in Syria. Right. Uh, that's why like all these nations, uh, Yemen, another one. All these nations where this has been happening, uh, I will say one thing: they preferred life the way it was under that dictator over what's happened since American invasion. And the reason why I say this is, especially the minorities, but the reason why I say this is, in uh, in a Saddam Hussein, or in a Mubarak, or in a Qaddafi, you had one evil, and you knew that evil. Like, it was a predictable evil. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew what to do and what not to do. In absence of these strong men in that area, it changes every ca- day. Yeah, now yeah. it's caps. It's it's chaos. Right. Now, instead of one evil... It's a million evils coming in different direction, like all these different groups, and it, it, there, there's no government, there's no, there's no um, order in anything. Like, as bad as those governments were in the dictatorship, but it was a, some form of a government, you know, it was some sort of uh, infrastructure that they had, mm-hmm. water and electricity and that type of thing, and uh, laws as unjust as they were in a dictatorship, but they were, you know, it was, it was order and and peace at times. Man, under this kind of chaos there's no government there's no central authority there's no there's no infrastructure yeah uh law and that type of thing so these people are suffering and uh life and death situations and genocides and all that like life was immeasurably better under saddam hussein in iraq than it was after him and it still is today so i mean long story short uh tony what am i going to tell you other than American foreign policy to the Middle East in general, but especially minorities in particular, is disastrous. It has been disastrous since my lifetime. Yeah. Which is a long time. You know, I'm old, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, you're wise, you know, so, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, this is like the driving force behind why we will support anybody who says, "Hey, I want to return to America. I want to make America great again." To us, hey, somebody says, "When I'm." Hey, what do you mean by that? Do you mean uh, returning it to a racist past, or you want slaves again? What do you mean to make make America great again? No, we're not slaves again. We came here in 1970. I don't know what a slave is. Right. 
I don't know what a slave is. My parents came here in 1970. I'm first generation here. I don't know what a slave is. I didn't even. I wasn't even here during the Jim Crow laws. I understand all those things are painful to people. I totally understand that, um, and I can appreciate that, and I'm sympathetic with that. But when I hear somebody saying "America, America Great again," to me, it means something different than somebody else. What it may mean to somebody else, or maybe even the way he he means it. With, to me, it means "Make America Great," meaning look inward. Right. Look Focus inward. on make ourselves our for a bit. Yeah. Make yeah. our country the the best it can be. Don't go on a foreign adventures and um, ruin the world. In the meantime, uh, okay, just to make us more comfortable, okay, now go conquest here and there and become more of an empire than we already are. This is what our forefathers were fled from, right? Okay, I read American history in uh, school as people fleeing from empire. Mm -hmm. They fled and revolted against an empire. Now we've become that empire times 10 that they fled and revolted from. Right. You know, other people uh, across the world feel the same way about us that we felt about the British when we revolted against them. So, I mean, when I hear Trump say, make America great again, to me, it means concentrate on America. Don't concentrate on Iraq. Don't concentrate on uh, North Korea. Okay, he's doing good things in North Korea. I mean, right? It's not a joke. I, I know I've talked to Europe about the Middle East, but it, you can see his same uh, uh, mindset, isolationist mindset, in Korea, he doesn't want to be having these expensive war games with South Korea all the time. He doesn't want to be uh, at constant odds with North Korea or China or anything. He just wants to leave the world alone. And um, that's, that's not a bad thing. No, it's not, that's not a bad thing. And you know what? I think the way you've put it, hopefully the people that have listened that aren't um, Trump supporters um, can at least understand your perspective a little better. Um, cause I've been super fascinated by the fact that you just know all this stuff. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I mean, thanks. I mean, yeah. Is he a jerk? Yes. Yeah. Is he a womanizer? Yes. Is he crude and obnoxious? I mean, yes. All of us. Is he racist? I don't think so. Sure. Is he, you know, is he all these things that his opponents say he is? I don't think so. I mean, I haven't seen it. Um, I know they say it, but I haven't seen it. Until you see it. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the a little over two hour mark, so I could I would love to continue this and ask you more questions, but um, we've tried this four times, so we've been at this for almost four hours, two hours <laughs> on our end, four, two hours to the listener, four hours are on on our end. So we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, thanks um, a lot, Tony. Yeah, uh, I always leave by letting the guest kind of just plug whatever they want. Um, usually my guest has like podcasts or rights or something, um, but I'll leave it up to you, whatever you want to plug or whatever you want to say to close out the show. Thanks, Tony. I, got, I kind of wasn't prepared for this. I didn't really think about that. But, <laughs> Have you got nothing? Um, that's cool too. No, no. I, I want to say like, you know, maybe conclude with saying like, I haven't seen America so divided as I have uh, since Trump has been elected. Um, mm -hmm. Hope and pray that you know, we can we can all get past that and um, unite again. I mean, that that's what I, as much as I hope for his second term, that's what I hope his second term reflects and not what we saw during his first term, which is Americans divided over, in a lot of cases, what, what are, are just not even issues. I mean, not real issues. Right. So hopefully we can, we can come together, uh, whether it's a second term or not. Hopefully uh -huh. we, can, we can heal that divide in America. I'm 100% uh, in agreement with that. So, um, again, thanks for your time, and I'm going to 
leave you be right now. Thanks, Tony. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Take care. This is a Danger Entertainment Podcast. DangerEntertainment.net Danger Entertainment Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Brian. And I'm Henno. We're three friends that talk about mental health, wellness, and our lives. Through articles and tips, we share what has worked for us on our paths overcoming depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, alcoholism, and addiction. Come join us on our journey. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast. Just search for The Crazy Life. Remember, wiggle your toes and just keep breathing. Keep breathing.